This is episode 009 with Zach Bauer from an American homestead. We spent time talking with Zach about his military career, his time in politics, and what it took for him and his family to leave the big city and start a homestead. We also spent some time talking about his loss and how he's coping with it with his family. We hope you enjoy. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits, you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend, Quentin. Each week we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. It's always nice to have the kids in bed when you're starting. So what are you, what are you drinking tonight? Just vodka. <laughs> you, we have a joke. We have a long-running joke. So we've done about, uh, you're your our ninth episode. And so each show, Quentin and I, we're, we're just chatting away and I'll see him pick up a mug. And, and in our third episode, our guest Walden, he was like, so what do you, what do you got in the cup? And we just start rambling on about the drink. And he had a bloody Mary on one show. Like right now I have yeah. hot, hot tea. <laughs> I, I'm just drinking coffee right now. <laughs> you won't. I, I usually that. spike it, but I'm not going to tonight. Man, Zach, I am, I am just thrilled <laughs> to, to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. It's good to be here, man. So, so we can set up a, a foundation of, of what we, we talk about when we're talking about the new normal. We've actually gotten some negative comments recently on our Facebook uh, thread. It's quite, <laughs> quite humorous. That's good. You want, that's, that's what drives conversation. You want negative comments. Exactly. And, and we had one that was an emoji of a middle finger saying, middle finger, your new normal, or you, know, <laughs> yeah. you can keep your new normal. Mm-hmm. And so the, the context for, for, you know, if you're joining us for the first time, if this is your first episode that you've listened to us, the context of the new normal is a mindset, changing your mindset. And there's certain events that happen in our lives. There's certain events that happen in our nation that force us to adapt to a new normal. And it has a very negative connotation. So the shoe bomber is an example that we use. With the shoe bomber, we now have to take off our shoes with TSA. And that just became the new norm. Right. So, so many people have a negative connotation. And what we've been trying to explore and what we've been trying to have on our show with our guests and, and the people that we, we bring on and the topics that we discuss with preparedness and finances and just all, all the way around in, in those uh, topics, philosophy is adapting your mindset to adjust to what this new normal looks like. And that new normal for you might be different from the new normal from someone else. And so I wanted to spend some time with you today and, and go over your, your philosophy of preparedness and how you got to where you are today. And so our guest today, if you haven't already figured it out, is Zach Bauer. He's within an American homestead. He lives with his father-in-law and mother-in-law, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. on uh, 
2,400 square foot elevation mountaintop in, in the Ozarks. You've got your two boys. Um, you served in the military. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it was Bosnia. You, you served some time in Bosnia? Uh, my unit just got back from Bosnia. And then uh, we went uh, back over to Macedonia, which is like the southern part of the Balkans. Balkans. Right. What was that experience like? Uh, it was, it was good. It was an, ex- it was a learning experience for sure. And as my first deployment and I was like, I didn't want to go home. I, I loved it there. I wanted to stay in the field yeah. my entire time. Going back to the rear was horrible. I wanted to stay in the field. Yeah. Jocko Willenick has, has the same mentality. You, you listen to any of his podcasts where he's being interviewed and he's always talking about like, I was just, I was born to be a commando. I love being out in the field. It was just what I was built to do. Do you, do you attribute any of your existing mentality of preparedness and, and situational awareness to your time in the military? Yeah, it's always uh, what's called OPSEC, operational security. And, you know, it's a whole, basically in a nutshell, it's loose lips sink ships, right? So you, you know, keep your operational security, you know, under wraps and, you know, what, what you're doing, uh, careful about what you're talking about, you know, at different times. Um, and so, uh, yeah, all of that really played a part in trying to f- hone my preparedness mindset uh, little by little. I also read a book. Um, I always attribute a lot of my preparedness to a book by P.J. O'Rourke. I read that in the military. And wh- about the time I was getting out of the military, it was called All the Trouble in the World. Fantastic book. Great eye opener, you know, for people who are really woke. And um P.J. O'Rourke, he wrote a number of books, but he, he's, he basically melds comedy with what is really going on in the world today. He's a very much libertarian-leaning uh, individual. But, uh, you know, things like that, you know, really helped hone my preparedness and where I was going to go in future years with all, with all of it. Did you grow up with that mindset, like with your with your childhood, where you kind of outdoorsy already, camping, hunting, all that? No, I grew up in St. Louis. Um, grew up basically in South County, South City area, and um, was not prepared. My family was not like that at all. But uh, joining the military and getting some world experience, seeing how the rest of the world operated, and then seeing you know just different things as life you know brings them to you, you know, it just that's, that's, that's where I, that's where I, that's where I went. (laughs) What were some of the things in, in Macedonia that, that kind of stood out to you as far as having lived in a, in a society like America, and then you go overseas, like what, was there any culture shock? Is there anything that stands out to you? I mean, there, I mean, we were, we weren't like any combat. I mean, I spent my 21st birthday on the Serbian border. Um, Basically you're in 10 man teams, 11 man teams. If you count the medic, and uh, you're on the border of Serbia. And the whole idea was when the, the, when Serbia or when Yugoslavia collapsed, the former, the former Soviet Union, Serbia, which was one of the countries after the collapse, took all the military hardware of all those countries and then consolidated it. But was, that left all the other countries defenseless. And Serbia, um, you know, basically a lot of the whole point of us going over to the Balkans was to stop uh, the Christians from basically taking back their land from the Muslims because the Muslims were so horrific in their treatment of the Christians. Well, the Christians were just trying to defend their homeland. You know, now I look back on it and I'm like, man, I was totally on the wrong side of that battle. Um, but because that's all they were doing, they were just trying to defend their homeland, you know, from an aggressive uh, uh, people who weren't indigenous. Apparently anyway, a lot of the atrocities were being committed by the Albanians in the first place. From what I understand, a lot of, a lot of the stuff the Serbs got pegged well, with. 
there was atrocities on both sides, no doubt about yeah. it. it it's it's oh, war, sure. and, and war is war. And so, the, you know, they were they were it's a, it was a no holds barred. You know, we're going to live, or you're you're going to live. And so, um, anyway, I, that was one of the things I learned about, and it's just you know, it it woke me up to a lot of things, woke me up to a lot of tactics and things, how things actually operate. And um, so, I've kept all that military. And I, I one of the books I, I just did a recent video on my Homestead channel about books I have on the homestead. One of those is, uh, the, um, the last 10 yards, uh, by pool. I forgot the first, first name. Anyway, he writes a fantastic series of books on tactical, uh, topics. And, um, it's something I recommend to homesteaders if they're interested in that sort of thing. So you get out of the military and I know you spent some time doing some political work. Talk to me a little bit about what, you, what got you involved in, in politics. Right. Yeah. So I worked. Oh, man, I've, I always say I worked. I volunteered mostly uh, for a number of campaigns. I, I was a volunteer lobbyist in Jefferson City early, early before that. I was a volunteer. I volunteered for uh, Bill McCollum, who was a former congressional, uh, a former congressman who ran for the U.S. Senate and then eventually became um, attorney general of Florida. Um, I uh, was a campaign manager for a guy who ran for U.S. Congress once. And then I worked for a number of other various campaigns and political issues. Mostly uh, uh, the political issues that I lobbied for were mostly Second Amendment oriented. So we had a number of bills passed in Missouri. Um, we worked towards concealed carry, um, different firearms rights, hunters rights, um, things, all kinds of things. The Castle Doctrine was a big one. We, we really pushed hard on that and wrote legislation for that. And we got most of our stuff passed, um, you know, a few things we didn't, but most of them we did. And so um, working in politics, I saw really the nitty gritty, dirty sausage factory that everyone talks about mm. within the state legislatures. And it is messy. It's horrible. There's ethics violations on both sides. And no matter who you're rooting for, and it, I just got really disgusted with it. Mm. And I told my wife at the time, I said, I can't. I can't be in this anymore. And I said, I, we, I think we just needed to get out of this because I really, my goal, my goal in life was even after I got in the military was I, w I wanted to be the mayor of the city of St. Louis. That, oh, wow. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the mayor of the city of St. Louis because it hadn't had at that time, like a, a Republican mayor um, in 70 years and the city showed it. It was just horribly maintained. And so that was my goal. But after working in politics, working in Jeff City, working for a number of campaigns, uh, both in college and out, I was just, I was disgusted. Right. So you, you go from a mentality of, you know, serving the community and wanting to be a part of the community and affect change and then having this, you know, legislature passed and, and writing these different bills to, to help the community. And, and you kind of go inward. So talk to me a little bit about your decision to leave the city to leave St. Louis and, and, you know, what sparked the interest to even leave the city and, and do the homesteading thing? Like was homesteading even the, the end goal there, or were you just looking to get out of the city in general? Yeah, it was about, at the, about the time of college, uh, I finished college and we moved back to um, St. Louis. And about the time we finished, I finished college. I was like, you know what? I really just, I have, I don't, I was getting involved in um, a number of, survivalist or preparedness type websites, uh, forums, things like that. Those were the days before Facebook and MySpace. And that's how people socialize was on these forums. And um, I just, I had an uneasy feeling and, you know, our family just did. We wanted to take some steps in preparedness. Anyway, uh, fast forward through a number of years, um, 
I guess you reached the time of what 2008 and the collapse that happened then, which was are you yeah the dot com collapse back in 2001. Right. He's that kind of raised a lot of people's red flags. But by the time of 2008, I was in full blown prep mode. You know, I mathematically speaking, this country cannot survive uh, with its economy basically creating debt out of thin air and just printing money into oblivion. It cannot survive mathematically. And then you start to look at the history of all the other fiat currencies that have been created throughout history and see those results. And they all fail usually within 100 years or less. And right now we're pushing like the 120 year mark. And we're, I mean, we're right at the point where it's not going to last any longer. We're, we've actually bought, we're on, we're on borrowed time right now, our economy and our, and our monetary system. So um, by the time 2008 rolled around, I was full blown into preparedness. And I'm like, we got to get out of the city. We got to get out. And now we're going to start in, in, you know, my family's on board. And so we got to figure out a, a way to do this. And so mm-hmm. we started looking for ways to get out. And um, at that point, uh, we even shared this with my wife's parents, and they were also on board uh, as well. And so we started looking for opportunities, and uh, eventually we moved out to the Ozarks, Arkansas Ozarks. Now, the Ozarks encompasses a lot of area, um, right? Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, parts of Oklahoma. And it's not like the TV show. No, no, (laughs) I I have never even seen that show. I hear all these people talking about, but I've never seen it, but I'll check it out. I don't even know what it's about. What is that about? It's not family friendly. We'll put, we'll put it that way. It's about uh, drug, uh, drug cartels and money laundering. And they moved in the the Ozarks Ozarks. in the Ozarks. Yeah. Well, the, the, the main character who's played by Jason Bateman, he, um, he, he's a money launderer for a big cartel and his business partner, like they have a legit storefront where they are um, accountants. And mm-hmm. part of that is that they are accounting for money, uh, money laundering for this cartel. And in the opening episode, you find out his partner's been skimming off the top. And so brutally, they put him out of his misery. And he says, wait, 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 you know, I, this wasn't on me. Long story short, they move out to the Ozarks to es- essentially escape from this car- under the thumb of the cartel and they start opening businesses in the Ozarks, this like fishing resort and this business and this carpentry business. And essentially it's, it's almost like a how to guide to launder money, but it takes place in the Ozarks. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's it's an interesting interesting show. It's an interesting show. Talk to me a little bit about the, the economy. So in the couple episodes that we've had, we've had uh, two guests now that we really dive deep into the economy and how this COVID situation, Quentin and I, we've talked about this on our first episode. This has really exposed America's economy as, as a paper tiger that, you know, if, if it was a virus that was a hoax, if it was a virus that was a bioweapon, or if it was just a seasonal flu, and the fact that any of those scenarios got us to where we are today is absolutely incredible. Like, right. how did we get here from any one of those scenarios? What's, what's your take on that? Like, how did we get here? <laughs> oh, man, I, I have no idea. I, don't, I have no idea where here even is, to be honest with you. So, um, listen, I, I, so based on what I just was just telling you about mathematically speaking, I just don't see how our economy could collapse. Um, you know, people who have had this mindset for a while, and I'm one of them, is that, listen, it was only going to be something. Something was something needed to be there. Just push this over the edge because it's right at the we're right at the edge, right at the precipice of it just being pushed. Right. And all it needs is a slight shove. And 
was this the shove that that was going to do what we all knew was coming? Maybe, but you know, things happen. Things happen naturally, you know. And so, I here's the deal. Like a couple of years ago, I just did a video on this not that long ago. So, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2016, more than four years ago now. I did a video because I remember all this hoopla when Trump took office and, and everyone thought we were going to war with Russia. There was this yeah. big hoop, you know, you know, 2016. We're going to war with Russia. I get guys. We're not going to war with Russia. We're not going to war with Russia. And the reason is because when the gravy train is running, people want to do whatever the people at the higher ups, the people who um, who run things, the economy and, and manufacturing, they want to keep that gravy train going as fast as they possibly can, as long as they possibly can. They sure. don't want that gravy train to stop. So when things are good, you don't go to war. But when things stop, the, the main focus of people in manufacturing, I mean, historically speaking, the main focus of people in manufacturing and people in leadership positions is to get that train going again. Well, war is one quick way you can get that train going. Mm-hmm. Because with war, manufacturing comes back. The economies come back. People spend money. People move money. And so that's, that's what they want. That's the gravy train that keeps going. And so, you know, I hate to be one of these crazy people talking about the military industrial complex, but that is some reality. George Patton once said, um, compared to war, all of the, all of the forms of human endeavor shrink to insignificance because of all of what it takes to make the things that people have when they go to war, aircraft carriers, airplanes, uniforms, boots, whatever. Mm. It takes a lot of manpower, time, money, energy to put all that together so that people can go to war. And so right, right now, you know, you hear about the stuff in South China Sea, you hear about the stuff and, you know, that's going on with Russia. You had a bomber the other day that just got, what, 20 miles from Alaska's airspace, all this stuff going on. Yeah, well, stuff could happen now more than ever. And so how did we get here with this virus? Was it intentional? Was it planned? I don't know. Who knows? History yeah. maybe may tell What does it truth. matter at this point, honestly? It, not, exactly. not to have a Hillary moment, but, you know, what, it, what does it, it matter? It doesn't matter. What does it matter? Because the reality is this country's broke. We're printing money like a drunken, crazy nut job inside the bottom of the Federal Reserve. And it, there's no stop. And they say, well, we have, we have technology. We have deflation. We're, it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. History is our guide says it's not going to be okay. We're headed towards massive inflation. And I think it's not going to be, you know, right away. I think we're going to probably, probably see uh, probably a little bit of a recovery in the next few months, maybe even a year. But uh, after that time, I, I can see massive inflation setting in in about a year's time and then lasting for the next five or six years or so. Yeah, hindsight will always be 2020. And right. uh, I mean, two years yeah, from I'm, now, we'll be. I'm only about. judging, I'm only giving these predictions based on what history has shown us, you know, in places like the Weimar Republic or in other places throughout history where fiat has completely collapsed. Rome is one of our earliest examples. When Rome went out and conquered all these territories, they paid tribute to Rome. Well, eventually, one territory says, you know what, we're not paying tribute anymore. And so Rome sends soldiers, and they quell that rebellion. And then they, another one pops up, and they're not paying tribute anymore. Well, the thing is, when you start giving funny money to people, they don't want it to stop. And so Rome kept paying the funny money by taking silver content out of their denariuses and their drachmas. And so now they have these little zinc-clad or iron-clad pennies or, or dimes with no silver content. They're worthless, but they're still giving the funny money out to the people because these tributes aren't coming in anymore. And that was the collapse of the Roman empire. And, and so, because they went fiat and it didn't last, it's not going to, it's impossible for it to last. And they got to have the Justinian plague, you know, not, not long before, before all that happened, just kind of started to kick it over the edge. Exactly. You have little things like that, 
like yeah. an invasion of Rome by whatever the, I forgot the name of the people who invaded Rome. But, the Huns, you know, the Goths, right? The Goths, right? Yeah. So it's just little things like that that just push it over the edge where it's already at the edge. You just need a little shove. Yeah. So I, you know, I think y'all did a really good job covering your your background and your worldview. I want to I, I want to get an idea of what you think is coming, and so. You know, anybody who's a student of history understands where the term balkanized comes from. Mm -hmm. And you got to experience that firsthand, right? Balkanization is, you know, it it comes out of the Balkans region and the breakup of Yugoslavia, where um, internecine conflict got started because of either political, ideological, religious, or ethnic backgrounds being compatible with one another in an area, whether that was just natural incompatibility or whether it was, you know, animated by an outside force or what have you, doesn't matter. Right. It existed and it caused a a kind of implosion. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind at this point, especially if you're an objective, you know, a rational observer that the United States either has been, you know, unintentionally or intentionally balkanized on so many different levels. It's not just political at this point, there's balkanization, uh, cultural bar- balkanization. We have ethnic balkanization. We have um, y- you name it, and there's there's some sort of sh- deep strife and um, you know turmoil behind that for whatever reason. So we have that going on, and you have the potential uh, for even more flare-ups in the future because as money gets scarce or as as prosperity becomes, uh, you know, more and more unlikely, and people's futures become more bleak. They're going to be hostile. They're going to lash out at one another for whatever reason. And if this is the thing that pushes us off the cliff, I think it could be quite ugly. You know, I'm not, I'm not making that prediction, but I mean, it's, it's definitely a possibility. It's definitely a worst case scenario. Would you agree with that? And how do you see, you know, the, the future playing out if we are indeed in the beginning stages of a collapse and potentially uh, what that breakup or, 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 our current balkanization, what, what would that lead to in, in terms of a breakup? Uh, oh boy. You know, it's a big know. question. I know. I, I don't, I think we're past the point of no return at this point. Uh, so we'll, ha- we'll have to wait and see, you know, and you, you, again, you never know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So there's a lot of scenarios I see that could play that, that could play out. I could see a breakup of the United States um, on a whole lot of, on a whole lot of different, lines i just pick one um the bible belt for example i think the bible belt is still pretty solid i think a lot of people in the bible belt are have had it up to here with uh the worldly views that have been pushed upon it and many people in the bible belt will push that out violently maybe um and and believe that they're doing it righteously um so and then you have places like um you know california the west coast um, I think people in the West, in the Western states, not the West Coast, but the Western states, um, they just kind of, there's a different mindset of people in the readout in some of those places. Uh, they have a completely different mindset of how life should be lived and very independent, very um, libertarian minded. Um, some of these places like New York and the, the East Coast, they, they they have they have no sense of religion. They're a complete opposite of the, what the Bible Belt believes and how the people there operate. So that that's a completely different, you know, Balkanization, you know, section right there. Um, 
So I, who knows how, how all that will split? There, I think there's so many, so many lines. And you know, how do the cities fare in all this? Because the cities themselves have their own mindsets completely different than the rural areas of the country. Right. Let me ask you this. We kind of jumped into balkanization before we uh, kind of covered this talking point. Do you, think, do you think a collapse would even cause a breakup and would cause a furtherance of balkanization? So we, we kind of, you kind of went into where it could balkanize. Do you think that if this is the, you know, if we're on the precipice of a cliff and we've just been kicked over the edge, is that a possibility? Yes. And, but I think, I think the federal government and I think a large portion of this country will try to do whatever they can to hold it together. I think they'll fight to hold it together. Um, and as probably as they should. Um, sure. But, but, you know, you, you've just seen this last week, some of these governors, you know, some of the, the things that they have, you know, tried to do that are just absolutely insane. I'm like, wh- who's the governor the other day or just two days ago or yesterday or today, maybe who said, nope, no longer can two people drive in the same car. Yeah, Michigan. What? Okay. So it's like that kind of idiocy is actually possessed by people. And they're going to try to – and so you could see violent overthrows of localized governments, state governments. We're starting to see pockets that with, with Michigan and, and other you know, states that are showing up. And you've got – Sean Hannity over here saying we shouldn't be showing up to these protests with long rifles. Like it's just not good for the message. And no, 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 no. it's perfect for the message because you're telling these people, this is why the second amendment really does exist. Yeah. It's because when you can't, when you tell me I can't go to work and I can't feed my family, now you're in direct conflict with the U S constitution. And so I think it's the perfect message to send to these politicians who have completely forgotten that there is a 3% out there. There really is. And they will go nuts. And, and many of them, many of that, those 3%, I'm not a 3%er. I'm not saying I'm one of these guys. Define I'm a 3%er you, for those who don't know. Uh, people who will raise up arms against, um, against a, a standing army, whether it's government or not, doesn't matter. People, and not only are there 3%ers out there, but there are 3%ers who are looking forward to this. Right. They've been Oops. waiting for this. They're Oops. just loose. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been itching for a fight. And, and so I think it, but see, those kind of people, as you look you know, at some of the words of our founders, those kind of people are healthy for a country. Right. Because they, they let our leaders never forget that, you know, they can be, we forget history. I, my, my kids in homeschool were just reading about Napoleon III, who was a horrible. I mean, most of these guys in France would get deposed one after the other. And it was the people going into the streets of Paris who did it, you know, and some of them didn't make it out of France alive. <laughs> some of these leaders. <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of shocked with Sean Hannity's comment because, you know, if you're, if you're a, a you know, a, an objective individual, I, I don't really care, you know, whether you believe the second amendment uh, was designed for self-defense or whatever. That's a, right. that's, a, that's, that's a conversation for another day, but it definitely was, for the you know intents and purposes of forming a militia to voice an opinion that could not otherwise be voiced, right? Because you know if you if you follow von Clausewitz's writings, it, you know warfare is just politics continued by other means. So it it really is, it really is uh, within the American. Well, it's definitely within your rights to do that. And it's, it's definitely what the founders intended, you know, the second amendment to be used for above all else, it, whether it's bad optics or not, that's a totally different conversation. It, it, it really is kind of bad optics. 
but but still it, it it's probably shouldn't be something that's condemned by you know a so-called conservative leader i mean right. i don't know if you would agree with that or not well to bring it all back to homesteading and preparedness so yeah. understand that this is all going on right now we're watching it happen a lot of us are scratching our heads trying to figure out what's going to happen next and what does this mean for ourselves and our families well, that's one of the things I say, hey, listen, homestead, because when you push homesteading or when you push preparedness to its logical conclusion, you end up at a homestead. Right. And it's because it's, it's fine. And some people will say, oh, well, you're a coward or, you know, you're just find a hole, get your family and crawl down in it because these times are coming. I knew they were coming. And a lot of people knew they were coming because the mathematics doesn't lie. Mathematically, uh, there's a very famous uh, commentator in finance once said, He said, uh, a debt that can't be paid won't be. A debt that can't be paid won't be. And throughout history, when there are debts that can't be paid and and they're not paid, you know, horrible things happen, whether it's an economic collapse, whether it's war that follows, whatever whatever it is, revolutions, whatever. Um, Horrible things happen. And so if that's the case, rather than participate in it, because that's never good, you know, you don't want to go out and participate. And I'm not one of these guys who's going to be showing up at a rally with a rifle, that's for sure. But what I am going to do is find a way to safeguard my family until these horrible times or these, these questionable times pass over. And then there'll be a new time. And then, you know, hopefully then my children will be able to raise up there, depending on what happens and how it all plays out. Um, hopefully my children will be able to raise their families in, in a more peaceful, more stable environment. So you're, you're living so in I, St. Louis and you're, you're getting ready to leave. What was... What was the mentality? What got you prepared to start moving out? And Quentin, we'll, we'll get back to your sorry. Um, That's all right. So how did I prepare to move out? Is that yeah, what, what, saying, what was your mentality? What were you doing to prepare? What were you studying? What were you reading? What were you watching? I don't uh, think YouTube was that big of a resource back then, but what were you doing to uh, really get ready? My biggest resource was a place called frugalsquirrels.com, frugal squirrels. And I think they're still in operation today, but um, it's a forum and there's a lot of good preparedness people there. And I got a lot of information. I started, you know, making how to, how to preserve meat. And this is all while living in St. Louis in an apartment um, and uh, how to preserve meat, making hamburger rocks. That's how you can make hamburger rocks, preserve meat. and It'll last for years. A hamburger will last for years uh, with no refrigeration. Okay. Um, and so I would, would learn things like that. We started learning how to can, canning, you know, making pickles or, um, you know, bucketing up buckets of wheat or buckets of pasta or buckets of uh, rice, uh, buckets of beans, and learning different methods on how to preserve that for long-term storage, whether it's dry ice or freezing or different methods. And so we started putting all this food away and stocking it up, uh, you know, learning how to uh, be better marksmen, learning how to use, operate a, a firearm efficiently, uh, taking classes, um, advanced classes, even um, stuff like that. Just trying to get this ready before anything else. So, you know, a lot of people are going to say to you, because I've heard them say to people in the past, you know, this is crazy. America will never fail. Uh, You know, everything will continue. People with the head in the sand, you, you know, the type I'm talking about. And I've been I've been having these conversations a lot with people lately, and I, I've just been telling them, even if this doesn't collapse at this point, the way MMT works is we're not going to get out of this thing without crushing poverty. I mean, yeah. absolutely crushing poverty because they're going to have to raise interest rates. 
and increase taxes to contract the money supply. Hmm. And if you're already poor, the, the government knows that when we have a downturn, a certain percentage of the population dies, right? Hmm. But to get out of that issue, those, those problems, if they've increased the money supply, they have to contract it. And those people who were in the lower rungs of society economically, they're going to be crushed even harder. They're going to be put in a vice. Some of them aren't going to make it. You already have a lot of people dying deaths of despair. So you, you've, you've got an incentive, even if there isn't some total collapse, to prepare for at least financial hardship. And so I've, what would you say to somebody you know, I, that you know, doesn't necessarily believe a, a collapse is coming, but might, might already be struggling financially and wishes to take the steps uh, to prepare to prevent, you know, problems in their life like starvation or, you know, just, just going hungry, not even starving. Yeah. So we have this disease in this country and it's not the virus. It's called comfort. That's the disease in this country. We have it. Most of us have it. Most Americans have it because like you, like you said earlier, Sal, we've never been to a third world country where you've seen those experiences, how other people live and how they struggle. And I mean, that was one of the things I saw that I guess was the most awakening for me. My first deployment was over in Macedonia and seeing a third world, a real third world country and how the people lived in the the little villages and how they suffered because they didn't have access to medicine or to doctors or to, um, to food, regular food. They didn't have an access to get to market and things. I remember, um, we were living, and I'll get to your, we'll get to more of this in a minute, but I remember we were in our, uh, at our observation post on the border. And every day um, from the little village up the mountain, uh, the shepherds would come down with their flocks of sheep and they'd graze them. And um, the shepherds usually were the girls. It was the, it was the village girls because the men, the boys were always working, doing stuff, you know, for the village, whatever. And they always wanted to come up to the fences and trade for Coca-Cola. Um, and so they went in, no, 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 they had fake Coca-Cola. They had the fake Macedonian Coca-Cola didn't taste really like Coca-Cola, but they wanted, uh, the Nutella that we had, cause we were, the GIs were given big things in Nutella. And so they wanted the chocolate for, for the Coca-Cola. And so they'd come and give us their fake Coca-Cola for the Nutella. And for them, that was like something that was unbelievable of a treat to get that Nutella. See, today we have no concept of that. We have no concept of... Right, we can just of, go to the convenience store and get it. Right, at any time we want, 24 hours a day, Walmart's open. And so we have, we have this disease called comfort here, and we think it can never happen to us. So first thing I would tell that person is to wake up. You're living in a dream world. This is not... You, you, the comfort you have now is not enjoyed by the majority of the world today. And... For the most part, throughout history, it hasn't been enjoyed by people even in North America, you know, for as long as we've been here. This is a small snippet uh, that is the result of major industrialization that has occurred. So understand that what you're experiencing now is not going to last. It's not. Okay. And times change, empires rise and fall all throughout history. So what I would do for you now, if, if I, okay, I'm awake, I understand, what can I do? Uh, I think the first thing you can do is put aside some food. Uh, also top on that list would be get a water filter, whether I, I would, I would find something both that you can use in your home, like a Berkey, or I would use something that was portable, like a, a, a Katadyne, a, a Swiss water filter. Um, very good water filters. It's something that's portable. You can put in a backpack. Um, 
have a way to, because that's one of the things that these people suffered the most within these countries, access to clean water, access to food. So dry, good foods, it's going to last a long time. Rice, you can add a cup of rice to one can of chunky soup mm-hmm. and that'll feed four people. You know, that's a lot, that's a meal. But, you know, you, you got to have that rice. You got to have that access to that stuff. So you water, rice, uh, gold, silver, if you, if you have the means to put some of that in there. I'll tell you a story. There's an old story about the Weimar Republic. So the Weimar Republic collapsed in about the same circumstances that we're here. I mean, there was a different thing that pushed it over, over the edge than we're, than we're experiencing. But there's an old story about the Weimar Republic, about an American businessman who goes into a hotel before the collapse. Things were good. The economy was good in Weimar at the time. And so he goes in and he befriends a bellboy at the hotel. Have you heard the story? Okay. He befriends a, ho- a bellboy at the hotel. And the bellboy spends the day with them, helping him with different various tasks, uh, doing errands, helping him, you know, carry a few things here and there, uh, taking notes back to the, you know, the messenger for the telegraph, whatever it was. He was spent the day with them. At the end of the day, the American businessman gives him a $20 gold piece. Okay. And he holds on to that gold piece. He was like, wow, a $20. He had never seen one before. It was a $20 American gold piece. And he keeps it. The Myanmar Republic collapse. Years, a few years go by, and everything is bankrupt. You know, it's basically wheelbarrows full of money to buy a loaf of bread. The inflation was so bad at the Weimar Republic at the height of the. He goes in at the time. His, his he's laid off, and he hears that his hotel is now for sale. He takes that twenty dollar gold piece that that American gave him. This is a true story, and he buys the hotel with that twenty dollar gold piece. Wow. The bellboy who was laid off from his job because of the collapse of the economy t- bought his entire hotel. It was a nice hotel for a $20 gold piece that he had gotten for it as a tip from an American businessman. That's amazing. And, it is amazing. And you can but see he, that happening now with, with respect to the fact that we've talked about this numerous times now. We were at the height of a, of a bull, uh, bull market, the height. I mean, we mm-hmm. were roaring through this, this stock market and in a matter of two, three, and then now going to four and six weeks, we went from the height of, of our economy to literal breadline in Costco. It doesn't look like Weimar Republic. It doesn't look like wheelbarrows of cash getting uh, loaves of bread. But we're starting to see runs on meat, runs on dry goods, runs on things that you just wouldn't think about. My wife and I had a difficult time trying to find baking powder the other day. And just things that you wouldn't expect. Again, you mentioned the fact that we have this disease of uh, consumerism, I think, is, is another one. And comfort mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the fact that we, we have become so comfortable with that consumerism. And, and in four weeks, you know, we're, we're in this now almost two months since, since it all popped off. We're starting to see those bread lines. And we're starting to see these shortages. We're starting to see chickens mm-hmm. being killed in the millions because they aren't able to sell them quickly enough and get them into stores, which is mm-hmm. just exasperating the problem that we already have of not having yep. a good food supply. And on top of all of that, we're importing the beef. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And, and, and if it's not a wake-up call to someone, these little things, these little triggers should definitely be a wake-up call for someone that we're having okay. a meat I'd like to. I'd like to add to what you were saying. You know, if anybody listening to this uh, hasn't ever done so, you should really look into the Weimar Republic 
and what was going on there and what's happening here. There's a ton of similarities. I often call what's happening here like Vimerica, the Vimerica effect. And it's really, it's a really troubling thing. And you're watching history unfold in, in a way eerily reminiscent to 1920s Germany. And, you know, what comes next could be very ugly. Um, if anybody wanted to, you know, to do some research, there's plenty of books written on the topic. Uh, but if you're not into reading, a lot of people aren't anymore. Uh, you know, a good a good show on on the topic is called Babylon Berlin on Netflix, and it, it can give you kind of a, a small glimpse um, to what you know they were facing then and what we could be facing now. Honestly, yeah, there's lots of examples. I mean, uh, during the Balkan War, I mean, for instance, Sarajevo. <clears throat> there's all, I mean, Sarajevo used to be an amazing, beautiful, vibrant, modern city. The Olympics were hosted there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was beautiful. I had looked at some of the pictures online. It's a, it was a great city and it just, it went down the, to the toilets. And so, uh, you know, lots of great stories about, you know, people who survived during that collapse. And we, there's a story that I heard in the ball uh, in Sarajevo where a guy um, to get by for, with his family during that collapse, uh, <coughs> um, he would, he always managed to have gasoline for sale because all the vehicles were diesel, right? He always managed to have diesel, you know, fuel for sale, a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And he would trade that for things for his family, like food, you know, just essentials, things. But he always had managed to have it. And after the war was there, people would ask him, where did you, where did you get this? Oh, well, you know, this and that. I, I get it from places. And I'm just trading. He's a, he's a wheeler and dealer. That's how he passed it off to his friends who were asking, where are you getting this fuel? What he was doing at the end of the war, he told people he had some cedar trees or some fir trees, some kind of cedar trees out there in the backyard. And he was tapping those and distilling them. And he was making a sort of diesel fuel that burned in diesel engines. Wow. And that's how he was surviving with his family because he had, a, he, he was distilling it. And he wasn't going to tell anybody because he didn't want anybody to take his still away and, and, and take the source of income from it because it was that kind of crazy. But, you know, there's lots of stories, Argentina, amazing stories out of Argentina and uh, Buenos Aires and, and, and its collapse in 2001. And then you have the modern day of Venezuela. You know, how are people getting by in Venezuela? All kinds of great stories, you know, in Venezuela too. You know, and some of them are still coming out because they're still dealing with, you know, the catastrophe there. So anytime inflation happens, you know, there's, there's amazing stories of how people dealt with it. But it really should drive home the point that, you know, you're not immune to it. It, it can happen here. And, and mathematically, it, it's almost a certainty that it will. And it's just, if it doesn't happen, if they manage to somehow put enough Band-Aids on all this, um, it's only kicking the can down the road. It's only going to make it even worse when it does happen. Right. So we're putting these band-aids on it and then we've, we've had a sort of band-aid ripped off with, with this COVID situation, assuming that we, we get into the election, uh, months, uh, up ahead and, and president Trump is, oh, and that could be, that could be a show right there in itself. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we've got this huge fight now going on with mail-in voting and, and the fraud that's, that's exponentially mm -hmm. potentially there. Um, you know, what does it look like if, if President Trump gets reelected? Do, do we start banging more war drums with China? We've got the CCP over here threatening tariffs on Australia if they continue to investigate whether or not this uh, Wuhan virus came out of a laboratory. Do we start looking at drumming up these war hawks uh, that, that are wanting to go to war with either Russia or, or China through proxy? Yeah, I don't know. There's so many. This is where you can get into so many what ifs, and it can drive you crazy. Uh, the good thing about 
the one thing I do feel a little more confident about is when it comes to war on our soil and coming to our doorsteps, it would have to be civil war that I'd be most worried about because we still are insulated pretty well because we have two giant oceans on the side, either side of us from all of our enemies. And that does insulate us quite a bit um, because it's just logistically impossible to move enough men and materials over those, uh, uh, over those waters mm-hmm. safely and effectively um, to be in effect here. So I do feel really insulated. I'm glad we're insulated in that way. However, um, there's just there's a whole, a whole other set of issues we could deal with. You know, when it comes to uh, fighting overseas, or you know, what that's going to continue to do to our economy. Um, you know, we have missiles that can. You know, today, who knows how that will work? Uh, I still feel good about how. I think we're so far technologically advanced over Russia and China. People think that Russia and China are their their military is literally in shambles. They, they don't have the money. And the reason the Chinese are here stealing all of our info through our colleges and universities and through their, you know, these professors and all that stuff is because they don't have the technology we have. And so they're trying to do whatever they can to get as much as they can because they're so far down the ladder. Um, even though the media would not want you to believe that, but they are. And the Russian military is in, is, is in complete shambles. They're just, they have no money. The, you know, I know how hard it is because I've been in the military to upkeep equipment. You know, we've had, you know, we drove Bradleys as the mechanized infantry and our Bradleys were in the shop all the time. And they, that was good equipment. That was good right. American equipment. And it was like always breaking down. So, um, you know, I, I can only imagine what it is like for a, a military that's not nearly as funded as ours is. So. I mean, and it's, it's add to what you're saying, you know, like we can only hope to boost our economy through warfare if we completely win and enact some sort of new Bretton Woods and Marshall right. plan to wherever. But if we stalemate, if we, you know, cause we can't really hope to win a war on Chinese soil or Russian soil either. You know, their military is not that great, but that that's not realistic for us to do that. No, Nobody's ever successfully taken Russia and I don't see why we would be able to, it's too vast. And, and they do have a lot of weapons lying around, whether they're old or not is, is irrelevant. They're capable. So we would have to completely, decimate them like Dresden or Berlin. I mean, they would have to be completely wrecked and any of their allies would have to be completely wrecked too. And we'd have to reestablish hegemony to even hope to bring our economies out of our economy out of that disaster. And that's not realistic. So if people start to beat the war drums and we do end up in some sort of proxy or hot war with one of these countries, we're either going to have to go all out and it's going to be really, really nasty. Or we can just chalk that up to more economic loss and loss of life mm-hmm. overall. Yeah, it's, it's that's the scary part because I've said before is that you know I've got children now who are, are young age, but you know by the time this kicks off, if it does kick off, I mean, you had the collapse of the nineteen twenties, nineteen twenty nine, the nineteen the depression, nineteen thirties, and what followed it was war. You know, and so the war machine started building. You know, so that's like ten years, and in ten years, my kids will be a fighting age, and that that scares me to death. And so that's why I tell people, you know, this is something where you need to get yourselves to a place where you can be insulated from as much as, much as possible uh, and disconnect from the world. Because if the world does go haywire in, 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 in so many ways, it, it'll, be, it'll benefit you greatly to be in a place where you're more remote. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. 
Go to arieldigitalmarketing.com slash new normal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. So I'm wanting to start a homestead. I'm wanting to move out of the city. I've watched all of your videos. I've watched everybody who's now got a YouTube channel that's homesteading. I'm ready to go buy a piece of land. What's, what should I be looking for in a homestead? If, I, if I'm looking to move out of the city, what, what should I be looking for? What are some of the, the red flags for, for purchasing land and, and you know, buying a house or, or not buying a house uh, on, on some? Well, first thing is look for a place where there's the least amount of ordinances and zoning regulations possible. Yeah. Okay. Because even if you're rural, there's, there's rural places that have tons of zoning regulations. Uh, uh, so find something like that where you can do your research and, and find a place where the least amount of zoning regulations and um, ordinances exist. And then the second thing is once you narrow that down, find a piece of property that has water, you know, multiple sources of water, whether it's a stream going through it, whether it's um, a water table uh, with uh, underneath that's close to the, the surface um, or uh, existing wells. Uh, rainfall is a big one. Pick a place. I get so frustrated with people who tell me, Oh, I found a place in the Arizona desert. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you're nuts. Wow. And, and it's like, well, we, you know, they did this and, that, and there's some YouTube channels out there that have been really popular, gotten lots of views and subscribers and they're homesteading in the Arizona desert. I'm like, dude, you are going to die. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you don't have access to home Depot and all of the fancy things that you're using to build and collect your water, it, it, there's a reason why people don't live in the desert. Mm. Okay. Historically. So if all that's turned off tomorrow, you're in deep trouble. So yeah. I tell people water is your, your next priority. Lots, multiple sources of water if possible. Yeah. And if you're out there in Nevada or Arizona or someplace like that in New Mexico, you might be near a first strike zone. If we actually do get into a hot war, you might not be in a very good environment. You, you, you might've just found yourself in the worst place possible. And let's be honest. I mean, if if we get if we get hit with nukes, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's anybody's guess. It's anybody's guess where the radiation is going. I mean, you know, so um, yeah. So I mean, we're, we don't have to go there because it's a, it's it's yeah. But I mean, so I'm not I'm not saying you should pick your homestead based on what military targets are in circumference of certain radiuses. Yeah. That's at the that bottom stuff. of the list. Uh, I I think you should. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, get a homestead next to Fort Leonard Wood, but I mean, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's it's you know be smart about it. Yeah. Nor and, would I. Nor would I. Nor would I get a homestead next to like you know within ten miles or right next to a a, a nuclear power plant either. Because yeah. if that thing fails and if it's not, you know. Yeah, there's a great book out there. The the title escapes me. I literally talked I about it yesterday. Joel Joel Salatin. Strategic relocation. Strategic relocation. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and it talks a lot about that. So if you're interested in that, that's definitely one to pick up. Were you? So a lot of people, obviously, in in, in American consumerism, they're heavily in debt. Would you advise someone who is heavily in debt to to venture into this? life because it is going to take equipment for the most part, you know, a traditional farm, if you're, if you're looking to go that route, but should, should someone start preparing now with getting out of debt or just sell as much as you can and, and get to where you want to go as quickly as you can. And then, yeah, we, we've lived in a world for far too long where everyone says from, from the day you're born, that it's okay to be in debt. It's okay yeah. to be in debt. It's all right. It's a, it, 
that's how you build your credit. That's that's the wrong mentality. And so now those chickens are going to come home to roost. So oh, yeah. um, get out of debt. If you can get out of debt tomorrow, get out of debt. And listen, I'm not going to be a financial advisor. I don't want to give anybody financial advice. Um, I'm doing what I'm doing, but you know, you need to figure out your own thing, but get out of debt and doing the Dave Ramsey plan, you know, and taking the next three, four, five, ten 10 years to do it. That might be a little bit tough. Yeah. So um, I think if we had that kind of time, fine. But I just think you need to be out of debt as much. Get out of debt if, if you can. Uh, other than that, I, oh, I don't know how much you want to go down different financial avenues right. <laughs> of what to do after that. But we, we've lived in a society where people have told us ad nauseum that debt is okay. Debt is what you want. And it's not. Right. Yeah, we actually had a guest on quite recently, uh, Hans Johnson, who wrote a book called The True Wealth Formula. We're actually giving away two free copies. This will be a little plug for it. If you go to newnormalpod.com forward slash TWF, uh, you can pick up this book right here. It's called True Wealth Formula. Just finished it the other day. Great, great insights. Again, it's not a financial advice book or, or you know, take it. There's a disclaimer at the front. It's, he's not a financial advisor, but definitely getting yourself out of debt and getting yourself into the mentality and, and, and a lot of preparedness comes with financial preparedness having the the intestinal fortitude to just stop going to starbucks every single day take that money and put it into a savings account break your break your spending into ratios versus dollars and cents live off so much less than what you're making now and and people talk about you know i live paycheck to paycheck and when we start promoting this this uh, lifestyle of living on 70% of your income, giving 10% of your income, saving 10% of your income, it's the richest man in Babylon formula, 70, 10, 10, 10. The, the automatic answer there is always, I can barely live off 100% of my income. You know, so what do you say to somebody who's, who's wanting to, to start a homestead and you know, what, what are some of the financial difficulties that you've, you've had to face running a homestead? Uh, so I met a guy who's coming over to work on one of my roads one day. I said, Hey, how's it going? How's your day been? And he said, nothing's broke. <laughs> that's a good day because that's yeah. what it's like on a homestead. You know, yeah, every, every day something breaks. And, um, I mean, just today, Tim came in, he was doing some siding on a building that we're building here on the homestead. And he, he broke the, the tool that the, the little machine that was cutting the siding. Hmm. So it's like something is always breaking. It's a good day if nothing breaks. Right. Um, That's where you, you got to live through the two is one, one is none mentality. Two is one, one is none. But also, you know, we're also so keen on if something happens, just go to Home Depot, pick up a new one. Yep. I think we need to, if if times get to where they're going to get, like we think, then there's going to come a time where if something breaks, you try to fix it. Yeah. You know, you go above and beyond. We're going to, we're going to make this work again. Work with what you and, have. Yeah. And so our, our grandparents were, you know, were made up of that kind of attitude. And so, uh, you know, the whole rigging things up to make it work again, it was common for them because they didn't have money to just go buy a new one. Mm. So I think that's something as a mentality, but I mean, as far as money and, and not, you know, what do you do on a homestead? How, do, how can you, if you don't have any money, man, you know, let me, let me be harsh for a minute. <laughs> Go for it, man. So we hear about all this stimulus going around and we hear about, well, we got to support these companies. We got to support these people. And we know what happened to the first round of stimulus. It all went to a lot of these businesses, people that had no business going to all the small mom and pop guys 
mom and pop guys didn't get anything. Well, the reality is we have lived far too long with this mentality that everyone gets a trophy. No, you're going to, there's going to be some that sink and some that swim. And that's just the way it's going to be. And if you have basically not put savings away, if you have lived a life of debt your entire life and you've built a business and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you don't have any savings put away, the greater the chances you're going to sink. And that's just the reality of, of the world we live in. And so, and you know, that's just me being harsh, but that's the reality of, and so today we have businesses when economic collapses would happen before you never threw money at companies. You, you, whoever, whoever ran their their company in the, in the, in the black and who had savings and who had prepared for the rainy day, those people survived. And we've gotten away from understanding that there's going to be rainy days in life. No, 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 it's okay. The government will help or this will help or that will help. I have this parachute or that parachute. Well, when those parachutes are taken away, you better have something on your own that you have put away. Right. So, and I think that it comes down to the fact that some are going to sink, some are going to swim. Well, and we had Hans talking about it on the last episode that if, if COVID is your reason for why you are in a financial situation that you're in now, meaning you don't have savings, you don't have an emergency fund that you got laid off. You're blaming everything, all the circumstances. If you're going to resort to blaming that, you need to do a serious gut check because if it's a virus that took down your finances, you've got something a lot more serious at the root of that, of that situation. If it wasn't a virus, it would have been a car wreck or a tree fell in yeah. your house or, you know, right. you've been flooded or whatever. I mean, it, it, it was just a ticking time bomb. Your life was being mismanaged. Very much. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's exactly the, the right uh, analysis of, of all of the situation. And what we're going to have to do is just, I think those of us who have been planning on this for years, because we've been, we saw what we saw. And so we're going to be like, you know what, I'm getting my family in a position that they're going to be able to survive this. I mean, no one's going to benefit from this. We're all going to suffer. We're talking as a giant crap sandwich and we're all going to have to take a bite type thing. Mm. But some people's bites are going to be a little bit more horribly tasting than others. So a lot of people complain, you know, that the system's rigged against the average guy and against the little guy. Right. And that this is all just basically designed to kind of crush us. And that still may be true, but you can still take personal responsibility and insulate yeah. yourself from this. Extreme well, let me ownership. Say one more thing too. Let me say one more thing too. One of the things we have talked about often on our homestead is that so many people, you'll see, we'll see people come out to homestead. They'll start a homestead and they'll get so frustrated because it's a lot of hard work and there's failures. You're going to experience failures and you're going to experience successes as well, but you're going to experience a lot of failures and people really get frustrated with, the, with those failures. And so the thing that I, we always have told people is that really what's going to benefit you in life, whether or not you've planned for this or not, whether or not you're going to be one of those people who sink or you're trying to swim as hard as you can or not, it doesn't matter. It's a positive attitude. If you have a positive attitude, if you have an attitude like that guy in Bosnia, who was like, I'm tapping my trees and I'm going to start distilling diesel. Yeah. That guy was like, he's a fighter. He's a survivor. Mm. And there's some people out there, even though you may have mismanaged your funds, you may have mismanaged your family's, you know, you know, finances over the last few years, you didn't prepare for anything. And now you're finding yourself in all of this nonsense. If you're a fighter, those fighters, people who have a positive attitude and maintain it, they will survive. Yep. Yeah. Your best, your best asset is your positive attitude. And that's what the new normal is all about, right? That's, that's kind of how we started this conversation is understanding that you have to adapt, adapt and overcome. 
and that can be your new normal. And so you hit on exactly what, what my next, uh, my next question was relating to homesteading is hard. You know, social media does an incredible job curating all the highlights of living on a homestead, the, the beautiful, you know, menageries that you, you end up with and these great yields that you, you get. Walk me through what your typical 60 minutes of your morning or your first 90 minutes of the chores that you're having to do. What, what is a typical starting day for you to look like <laughs> on the homestead? Oh, I'm I'm gonna disappoint you because <laughs> I can um, go through mine because mine's super easy and chill and and you well, know giving people that misconception that you're gonna be out there for ten hours you know working working the hay bale. Yeah, you know, I mean there are times like that, uh, but I mean you know I I I make a majority. I work from home, so yeah. I can I I have a, a design background, computer animation, digital media, and so I do a lot of computer work, clients and stuff. Uh, over the internet. And so I had that ability. So, um, and right now we're not, um, you know, normally uh, in the springtime is really busy because we're working on the gardens. We're trying to get all the, you know, they get the gardens ready, get things planted, you know, everything's situated. That's more of a busy time. Uh, summer harvest is also very busy because you're trying to harvest and bring as much in so you can save it and put it up in the pantry. But really when I get up in the morning, you know, coffee is first thing and uh, my, my kids get up for me right now, I'm homeschooling them. And so, um, you know, we homeschool, they have a number of chores. I have children. So the majority of those chores fall on them now, and I'm training them to do those things. So it's my kid, my, my oldest who takes care of our sheep. We have about 23 sheep or something like that right now. Nice. So he takes care of the sheep. He makes them fed, um, makes their, make sure they're watered. Um, my kids will, uh, we have composting toilets. And so uh, my oldest empties the, the composting toilets. And my youngest yeah. fills the sawdust buckets. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a great one. I, I finally passed that off on him. <laughs> Here you go, son. Um, uh, so uh, what else? Deep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of chores that they do. Uh, bringing in firewood, you know, in the wintertime. Just getting rid of different things, you know, just doing chores. Um, so just stuff like that. They have the chores. We all do it. Um, and I, I just kind of oversee and, and I'm, I'm the straw boss. What is the dynamic with, with your in-laws? How do you, how do you manage those chores and go back and forth? Uh, well, Tim is the builder on our homestead. Uh, so okay. my father-in-law, he builds, I mean, he's out there building every day. He's just a machine and that's all he does. Bang, 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 machine, machine. Uh, he's always out there building new buildings. He's got plans for new ones he wants to build. And hmm. um, he built this office that I'm in now. Uh, it's a new studio that we're using on the homestead for videos for the home, for the homestead channel. Um, got the, green screen behind it nice. so yeah it's it's nice it's really perfect that soundproofing and everything um so he builds he builds um and his wife uh, maintains joanne she maintains she does a lot of the baking and she will also uh, uh do does we have a solar powered laundry machine so she does laundry for both of us and um yeah that's basically what what we're at right now one of the biggest goals when when we started our homestead and i say this is kind of the mantra is I want to go to the store as few times as possible. And so living, living <laughs> off the land and having your own garden and having your own meat source, is, is that what you're raising the sheep for? Are you, are you doing anything with the wool? Are you raising it specifically for meat? What other livestock are you, are you getting into or do you have? 
Uh, we have chickens and sheep right now. We've got, we've had turkeys and we had a milk cow in the past, but we have such an access to milk here. And there's so many people who have milk cows that we can just, I can get raw milk anytime I want. Right. Um, and so I decided not to do that. Um, and so that, I guess that's a, probably a good way to bring up Jamie. So that was me and my wife's plan was to have a milk cow. We wanted a milk cow. Uh, she was diagnosed with cancer February of 2019 and she passed away in November of 2019. And so when that happened, we decided, I decided that I just, I can't keep the milk cow and I have such an abundance. There's so much access to milk around here. Um, I just decided I go ahead and let that go. Um, but we've had turkeys in the past. We have chickens now we have sheep. Um, and I think we're going to keep it at that point just with the sheep and the sheep is on the hoof. So that's meat that we can have at any time. Mm -hmm. Uh, also we can sell a few. We've sold a few now we're going to be selling some more. And so, uh, you raise up your sheep every year, you sell the males, and you keep the females. Mm-hmm. That's how you grow your Shear and cord your own wool? Uh, we have hair sheep. So we started off doing Shropshire okay. or Hampshire sheep, but those wool producers, those major wool producers, if it's not a heritage breed, it's going to suffer, at least in this part of the country, with oh, uh, sure. parasites and worms and things like that because they're not normal. So you have Katahdin's. Uh, no, we have uh, St. Croix, Saint Croix uh, but a lot of people do have Katahdin's and they do really good with those. I yeah, mean, so Katahdin's and St. Croix usually are really the good ones, uh, heritage breeds that, you, that do well. Are those so, real similar to like Barbados? Uh, I'm not familiar with that breed, but I know people who have them. I'm not familiar with them though. I'm not yeah, sure. They're, they're great. Cause I mean, they just, they're, they're born with a, a woolly, you know, outside and then, by the time they're a couple months yeah, old, so they that, start to shed it, and then they okay. So that's extra. similar. That's, that's what. So right now the temperatures are warming up. We have this kind of wooly structure on the sheep, and they're just losing it all over the exactly. place. I was going to ask you how you managed uh, nematodes and like fungus and stuff like that on the sheep, but if you have hair sheep, that I don't. Yeah, like they're they're not really. They're and there are wool sheep out there that are hardy uh, that can deal with those, but um, the Shropshire, Hampshire, which is a lot of the normal wool breeds that you see out there, man. You're like fighting every day to keep those alive. I remember your early journey with the sheep. You you were really struggling with with uh, with a lot of the parasites. So I'm glad to yeah, see. Yeah, I went out and I bought a commercial them. sheep breed, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to raise them naturally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to worm them constantly. Like our sheep that we have now is we 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 turn them loose. We have goats on the property as well. We have Nubians, and that's our that's our supply of milk. So. My wife and I, we also had the same, you know, dream and passion. You know, if we're going to have a milk cow, we're going to be raising it to have a meatball, right? So every year that gets bred and that, that the name of that one is meatball. Every single year, it's going to be meatball. And then <laughs> when we started getting into the Nubians, it was like, man, these, these girls are producing a gallon every single day. And you get two or three of them that are in milk. I mean, we're, we're putting, we're, we're putting milk to the to the chickens we're giving milk to the cats we're giving milk to the dogs we have a couple customers who come every now and again and, and pick up a couple gallons here and there but i mean just the abundance of milk have you have you looked into goats at all for for your milk source no our neighbors have goats i've owned goats on two different occasions i'll never do it again and i know the nubians i think are a little bit different um, um attitude mindset yeah uh, more manageable but there are some yeah. out there i mean I, i've had goats on two different occasions i'll never do it again um yeah. sheep are completely different i mean they're just so easy to maintain 
Um, it's ironic but, though, right? You really start to see why people get called sheep, right? And even in the Bible, mm-hmm. it talks about the sheep and the goats and the their, and the mentali- goats. their mentality is very oh. independent. A goat is like an unruly teenager who just gets up every day and says, what can I break? <laughs> my my wife wants goats again. And I, I just, I just yeah. don't, I just don't yeah. want goats again. I, I really don't. We they, love they, they were not my favorite. We no, love them. They're horrible. They come outside and they're, they're standing on your car and they're just. Oh, gosh. I've, I've got horror stories with goats. No, don't do goats. And I mean, but the, I've heard the Nubians are, are have a different. They uh, are different. We had yeah. Nubians and I, I, I liked them. I'll yeah, be the voice Nubians. of reason here with the Nubians and the goats. Yes. Some goats. Wars, are... <laughs> Spanish. Oh, God, no. No, no, the Nubians have been great. Like they, <laughs> like I said, they supply us with a good amount of milk constantly. We, we're breeding specifically for long lactation. So one of our girls, they come from a line where the, the dam has been milking for over 400 days and hasn't been bred mm-hmm. since then. Wow. So that's, that's our goal is to have long productive lactations, very easy, very chill breed. They're very friendly to us. So for anyone who's interested in goats, definitely research and look in temperament and, and, you know, how they get along with other animals. We were actually very hesitant about putting our goats with our sheep. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's just see how it works. My wife was a little hesitant and, you know, we were trying to get them into the, into the paddock. They're like, they're just super chill. They hang out in their own little group. The goats hang out in their own little group. And because the sheep, the, the Katahdins are also brush eaters, they're also maintaining the amount of pasture land that the, the goats either skip or, or they just mm-hmm. ignore it altogether. So it's a very good balance of having both the sheep and the goats that are eating the brush and the grass, and it's really keeping it down. We're at a point now where we actually need to start building a new paddock and, and move them into there and rotate them. It's, it's, it's been a, definitely been a, an interesting learning curve with with livestock right it's not chickens the gateway drug into into home setting mm-hmm. is always chickens that you hear mm-hmm. yeah like chickens cows. yeah <laughs> <They're> the easiest <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it would, however you get into it you, you learn the value of it and and the importance of it and uh, we we you know milk and bu- uh, cheese and butter is something that we're using for, for our milk that we get all the time so i'm a, every, every week i make more cheese and butter and i love it yeah. What's your what, what what type of culture are you using for your cheese? What type of cheese? Are you oh, using? I don't know. I buy it online. It's a, a animal rennet, rennet, and uh, I just I get what I get. I, I don't know where I buy it from, um, and it makes an amazing mozzarella. And so I make a mozzarella every week. Mm. I usually make you about, smoking it. No, I have before. I haven't done it in years though. Um, our smoker is getting rebuilt. That's another thing Tim's going to be working on soon. But um, we have a home smoker, a cold smoker on the homestead, and so he'll rebuild that. But the butter, I mean, I love the butter. The butter is amazing. And you just, if you have a Ninja, like a Ninja processor, I mean, it, it makes it in like five minutes or less. It's Do you great. just take the cream off of it and, and use that? Yeah. I'll let it sit for a few days and take the cream off and then put it in there. And then like less than five minutes, it's butter. And I just pour off the buttermilk. I usually give that to Joanne and she makes pancakes with it or whatever she wants to make with it. Nice. That's definitely one of the struggles that we've had is like, we have all this milk and, and my wife does a great job. Like we'll just start making cheese one day. And now we've got frozen cheese in, in the freezer and, you know, we sell that as well. And then we put it on mm-hmm. our breakfast tacos. She made a really great, um, almost like a feta for, for our, um, for our salads. And then she's made a ricotta that we did for, for one of our lasagnas. So, I mean, there's so many resources that are out there for, for anyone who's, you know, looking at livestock, they they need to look at livestock that has a, a dual purpose, right? So 
you can have the milk from the goats or milk from from a cow but look for other alternatives that you can use it either sell it or turn it into something else butter and and uh sour cream is another option right. a little bit harder to do but <laughs> dude goat butter and garlic salt <laughs> it's goat butter and garlic garlic salt man it's it's awesome <laughs> never tried that but uh yeah I'll it's it's amazing piece. It's a, put it on, put it on your garlic bread instead of you know like garlic salt on the bread with some stick of, throw that goat butter on there with some garlic salt in it. Yeah. Throw that avocado yeah, toast away, millennials. Yeah, <laughs> eat <So> butter. <laughs> you brought up Jamie, and and I respect the your your topic in that, and you know we're, we're very sorry for that loss, but I, I would love to get your perspective on since Jamie's passing what have you learned about yourself the most? What has really stood out to you that's, that you didn't know you had inside of you that, that has manifested in these last few months? Um, yeah, see, that's, that's, um, I'm not near as strong as I thought I was. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've, oh boy. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, why don't you think you're as strong as you thought you were? Well, you know, cause I've always been this like hard rock of a person and the sore, I was definitely the source of strength in our relationship for so many things. And now it's like the days can be I'm, where I'm still that solid rock. And then there's days where I'm just like a puddle on the floor. You know, it's like literally, you, you literally know what it's like to have your heart amputated, you know, and just be not, totally there anymore you know it's like i i I feel like i'm just not all there so we built this together and we started off you know with this dream we knew our goals and we knew why we had our goals and then we had reached a point in our homestead where okay we're good now we're in maintenance mode and now we're gonna branch out and do new things and just enjoy, you know, the fruits of our labors and the fruits of, you know, or the labors of her parents as well. And, um, and then it's just to have it end up like that. It's just, we couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. My heart and my brain have not communicated yet. The fact that you, you've learned that you weren't as strong as you, you thought you may have been. What are some of the things that have gotten you through each day? What, what gets you up, right? You, you have your kids that do the chores, but at the end of the day, right? Like, the grieving process, where do you, knowing that my kids are her legacy and, Mm. um, I have a definite, you know, we had, we had a definite plan for them. And, um, and so my focus is to make sure that's carried out. And then also just to honor her every day. I can't, as I can, you know, to keep the house, you know, clean and just functioning the way she liked it, uh, because that's what made a good home. And, um, and I mean, I realized that, you know, down the road things will change again and but right now it's like my my sole focus is just to get up every day and continue to live out her legacy and just make sure that you know what she wanted is done um exercise i mean grief you know having dealt with grief it's like um it can be addicting grief and i never i never realized that like if it can depression can be addicting and so what do you mean by that well it's just because you you love it and you hate it at the same time you you 
Well, you're holding on to the memory, right? So yeah, you hold on to the memory. It's like if you know if I allowed myself, I could sit. Yeah, if I allowed myself, I could sit in that in my living room and just stare off into space for days, and and just and just think and cry and and. But you can't do that. You you can't do that. So and so and so. But I want to because I love thinking about her. I love. And so I, it's depression can become addicting. And that's why so many people, I never knew that. And I always thought people who struggle with depression were just weak, mm. but no, it can be addicting, you know, depending on what it is too, you know, it, it, different circumstances for everybody. But um, it, that, that really changed me. I think in a lot of ways is understanding that also um, exercise has helped a lot. Like I'll get up and I'll force myself push-ups and sit-ups in the morning um, and, you know, work out really hard as, as much as I can doing that. And that, you know, gets the blood flowing. It just, it's a way to just uh, stave that off. And it, I, if, if there are days, too many days go by where I don't exercise, you know, I, I can feel myself slipping into that, that dark place yeah. again. So it's just, that helps a lot. People, you, you, you get plugged into some widow groups and widowed groups and things like that. And they share different ways to help. And exercise is always a big one. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tough situation. Like you don't ever, you don't ever think about it. Like we we talk about preparedness and we talk about being ready and in, in finance and your philosophy and and just your way of life. But you know what what prepares you for the loss of your your significant other? Nothing. I mean, you just you always think that they're going to be right there, right next to you. So my heart goes mm-hmm. out to you. How, how have the boys coped with it? They're doing good. They uh, my oldest. I mean, kids are resilient. <laughs> they're just it blows me away how well they've dealt with all this but um my oldest is he's there's been some times where he's been pretty sad and um but for the most part they're both really good and they're they're doing okay it's it, they understand i think a lot of parents really and a lot of people who look from the outside look in at something like this and they're like my gosh how do you prepare your children for this how do you deal with this right and even when it's coming like there was a point in time where you know we knew that the battle's over you know and so but from the very beginning we told our children what could happen and we prepared them and so many parents aren't willing to do that they want to shield them from every single thing again that's the disease comfort Mm. anything that makes someone uncomfortable we stay away from that because we love that comfort and from the very beginning, you know, we told them, you know, what might be the result of this. We sat down when we were open with them and that prepared them very well for, you know, what, what occurred. And so they, when it happened, it, they were fine. They were okay. And, and, you know, they'll still struggle at, at times throughout their life, I'm sure. But yeah. um, I think it made it a lot better by just being honest with them. What have you learned about your kids since that time? Oh, that kids are resilient. They can deal with things way better than we can. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of weak ninnies. <laughs> and how's oh. the dynamic with your, with your in-laws been through this? It's been good. I mean, and it's, it's the same. It's just, it's, it's just the same, but it's not, you know, um, it's, you know, we, I've always gotten along with her parents and, you know, some people don't get along with their in-laws, but I get along with my in-laws pretty yeah. well. And so um, that's we're, never been a problem. Where does that cliche come from? Because I mean, that's always been pushed on on society, right? Like, the mother in law is always this crazy person that you don't get along with. And I'm like, my my in laws are I get along better with my in laws most of the time than my own family. <laughs> well, 
I grew up with a with a with a dad who um always used to tease his mother-in-law. Mm. And and they got along real well, but they te- they te- teased love teasing her. And and now I I do the same thing to her. I tease her. And we have a we have a fun time. She knows I'm joking, but you know, it's it's a um I try to be upbeat about things and you know, not be too serious and uh but you know, they miss her tremendously just like I do and it's just, you just can't believe you go through life. But the reality is life is a vapor. It's going to be over before we know it. And, um, and so I'm very thankful the time I had spent with her. She just, she changed me forever. And she was a remarkable woman. Yeah, I got, I got a chance to be in proximity to you guys in, in a couple of conferences and, and you could definitely tell it was there. And, and mm-hmm. again, my, my heart goes out to your family and, you know, thank you for talking about that. That's, that's appreciated. What um, what are some of the goals that you guys have moving forward on the homestead? You know, you, you're in maintenance mode that you you mentioned. What are some of the things that you're doing to to maintain the homestead, but then also grow it and expand? What were some of those projects that you were talking about that you wanted to expand and, and look at different? Was it different avenues of revenue or just different projects that you were looking to to get into? Yeah, right now my main focus is homeschooling because, you know, I th- again, this is one of those things that society has sold us a bill of goods on is that, and me and my wife were very much into trying to prepare for this at about the time when she got diagnosed. So we, we were switching into this gear and that is to prepare our kids because we want our kids to live here. We don't want them, what happens is, you raise up your children, you shove them off the nest and you send them to college and you hope for the best. Right. So what we wanted to do is we have enough land here. We can, they can have houses. They can raise their kids here. Heck their kids can raise their kids here. We have enough land for that. And it's only 56 acres, but the reality is, I mean, how do you see people living now? They're in small little subdivisions (laughs) all crammed in. Yeah. I mean, we can, we got plenty of room for a few generations at least. So my thing is let's get these kids, you know, in industry, you know, something that they can use. Um, Joshua has showed, my oldest has shown a very good, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Interest. A very good, well, interest is one, but he's, uh, aptitude, I guess. Aptitude. Yeah. For, for development, back end coding development, back end nice. coding. And so, uh, I've got him on JavaScript. He's doing, he's doing blockchain, um, solidity. He's doing, um, he just published his first, um, uh, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> he's, he's far. See, I've always been a front end developer. He's yeah. like back end. He's doing things. I'm like, I don't even know what he's doing, but he published his first, um, app or whatever it is to the blockchain test net the other day. So I was, wow. I was just ecstatic about that. And, uh, for, for the Ethereum blockchain and, um, and so he's learning all this stuff and he's, he's doing academy stuff at a certain academy online. He's learning this stuff. And so my thing is, okay, Joshua, we're going to get you ready. We're going to get you a place where you can earn an income. You can raise a family, provide for that family. And then, um, you know, we'll get you, a, we'll build you a house here. And, but you'll have a way to earn income. Now, now Caleb is showing more aptitude for uh, working with his hands. And he really likes, you know, seeing grandpa, and a lot of the things he does is building and things like that. So my idea for him is to uh, maybe work with his hands on building products here. Like, so for instance, we have a lot of uh, Eastern junipers that grow on our property, lots of them. And these things can't, when the widows work properly, they sell for a lot of money. And so what I want him to do is to take these Eastern junipers 
uh, people call them cedar trees, but they're really an Eastern juniper. And they, they cut them down, make cedar mantles, fireplace mantles, different things out of them, and be able to use those to, as an income for him. And so when he gets to a certain age, we'll start you know, honing that skill for him as a way to earn income. So right now, my big projects are getting these boys ready to earn an income so where they don't have to leave. They can stay here. They can raise their families here. And then you know, continue to work this land and use the land for their benefit, for their family's benefit. Are so it's guys, not about me at this point. It's about them. I'm working on them right now. Are you guys still running a sawmill? Do you guys still do that? I do have a sawmill. It hasn't been run in a while because the last year I've been, you know, I've been busy with Jamie and, you know, fighting that battle and dealing with that. And so okay. uh, I went out to start my tractor. Oh, for the first time in like a year, maybe, wow. maybe less than a year, maybe six months, whatever it was. And uh, the starter is not working. So I got to get that fixed because the, this tractor runs the sawmill. Uh, the PTO on it. So um, I will get that back up and running. But once that does happen, yeah, we'll be, we'll be cutting cedar trees or you know, the junipers and, and um, you yeah, know, we'll be getting that up again. What do you, what do you see their futures looking like with, with respect to staying on the land? Do, do you see them being, do, do you, do you see that their aptitude is staying home and, and, bringing a family onto the, onto the compound, if you will. Yeah. And we're, we're raising that. We're raising them with that mentality. I mean, they know that this is their land, that this is where they're going to build their home and this is where they're going to raise their families. Um, so many people, they're just not preparing their children mentally by telling them what they're going to do from mm-hmm. the very beginning. And so they tell that you know, they hear the world's view of what they're going to do. And that's going to be to go to college. That's going to be to go out get and in uh, get into debt. Yeah. Get buy a house with a 30 year mortgage and, with a crazy interest rate and, you know, all this nonsense. And so, and then what happens to the parents? The parents end up in an old folks home somewhere. Whereas their kids are off doing their own thing. But if, if we do it the way historically people used to do it, they basically build on the wealth of their ancestors, right. they build on the wealth of their fathers. Legacy. And so that's yeah, what an leg- actual legacy is. That's right. And so that's what I want to do with my kids. I want to raise them up. They're going to maintain the legacy. They're going to build on the wealth that we have built for them. And then they're going to pass it on to their children. And then they're going to continue to do that, hopefully, on down the line. If they see it working, obviously, wish it will, because this is historically how it's worked. Right. Do you see yourself getting involved in, in community projects or are you involved in community? Kind of going back to your political roots, do you see yourself being the mayor of your, your existing town now? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, listen, no. Um, and this is a, an amazing community here. Amazing people who live here, salt of the earth, and they, they love working with their hands. They love, they're just good people here. Um, but I don't want to get involved in politics. Uh, there, there's definitely a good old boy network you know, where I live. And I mean, that's the way it is anywhere. Yeah. You, you go to downtown St. Louis, there's a good old boy network in downtown St. Louis. And if you yeah. haven't been raised in it, you ain't going to get in it or you're going to be, you're going to fight to get into it and you're lucky if you can get out of life. But it's just anywhere you go, there's a good old boy network here. My, there are families who have, have been in this area who have the same name of the people who settled it 200 years ago. Right. Okay. It's there. That's it's theirs. So I'm not getting involved with it. I just want to, be a part of it and, and help out where I can. Uh, there's a food bank in town that I volunteer at. I haven't been there because of the whole COVID thing lately um, because I have elderly people who live in my, you know, her in, my in-laws who live here and I don't want to go contract something or virus or whatever and bring it home. Um, uh, so I, I haven't been in there lately, but um, I, I still try to 
be active in my community, work at the food, you know, volunteer at the food bank and, and, you know, help out people when I can. And, but uh, politics, bah. Yeah. We talked about being insulated and, you know, we, we kind of touched on it just now with the fact that you and I, and then Quentin, we live in rural red state communities and it's very anecdotal. And I, and I understand that and I'm aware of that, but for us specifically, my family, nothing much has changed. When, when this whole COVID situation started happening, you know, we thought, okay, lockdowns were coming food. You know, we were really going to start seeing a lot of the food shortages happen a lot quicker than, than they have been, but not much has changed, right? I've been working from home since 2016. We've been homeschooling since my, my now 18 year old, he was in first grade. So, I mean, we've been homeschooling and we were built for such a time as this. So are you seeing that in your community where not much has changed? I mean, obviously there's, there's a little bit of tug and pull with, with executive orders and who can be open and who can't, but have you seen much of a change in in your area? Now, Arkansas has been, uh, we're part of the Arkansas Ozarks. So Ozarks encompasses Missouri, Arkansas, and parts of Oklahoma. So in our, in our Arkansas Ozarks, Arkansas hasn't really shut down at all. Um, they had some things shut down, like some banks, schools, things like that. But I mean, for the most part, there wasn't a whole lockdown. Uh, shut down maybe, but not really lockdown. So we have, it's not, I've just not been going to town as often. I've been going like every two or three weeks. So my last time I went to town, I hadn't been to town in two weeks, but the time before that it had been three weeks. So normally I would go once a week, but I'm kind of enjoying not going. So uh, I only go when I have to, and I need to get a few things. But um, no, I haven't really seen a lot. I mean, there's people in Walmart who wear face masks and people in Walmart who will yell at you if you go down the aisle wrong. But I mean, it's like... And your state, you know, you're living in a red state now, but you might be going blue there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hope not. It, it looks like that's quite possible. If it doesn't I'm happen this time. In, in months, literally. I, I mean, since this whole thing started, probably two or three months, I literally, I literally haven't been in the grocery store. Yeah. I, 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 don't, even wanna, I don't even want to go in there. Well, it's um, so weird I because ask you. I was just going to touch on one thing. I was like, it's so weird because we have been going back and forth. We do go out and we're trying to live as normally as possible. And then we, we had a, a group of friends come over the other day. Um, I won't mention how many there that were in the party, but we had some, <laughs> it was friends illegal. <laughs> we had some friends come over and the comment that they made to me just kind of took me back. Cause it was like, this is the first time we've all left the house since March together. Like we've been to the store, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this is the first time we've all been out kids and everything since March. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are you surviving? Like, we just gotta, we just gotta get out sometime. Like mm-hmm. face mask or no face you mask. Know, I don't I, care where you stand. Like we got to get out. Yeah. Me, well, me we, and my wife felt like that for, for like a hot minute. There was like a time at the end of March where we were just kind of like going stir crazy. And we we're like, we need to just go somewhere and go do something. We didn't. And we, the feeling just kind of passed. And now we're just like, I don't really want to go anywhere. Like we're good. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wanted to do some traveling. Cause that was one of the things that they recommended for people who, you know, grieving loss of a spouse, things like that. They say, you know, get your kids, go do traveling, go see some new things. And so I wanted to go to the, you know, creation museum this, this year, Kentucky. I wanted to um, do some trout fishing with the boys, do some different things like that. And I haven't been able to do any of that. So I was kind of disappointed. Um, we did get to go to Colorado, but that was really before anything started getting crazy. But, um, 
I, I hopefully when all this dies down, I want to yeah go do some things, but I I'm, I'm totally fine with sitting at home and not doing anything. So, uh, you know, uh, community building is really important to me and you've got, you know, you've got everything on the home front, pretty lot, pretty much locked down. You're working on building your tribe. And what is, what is it besides uh, what you'd already discussed with, with interactions in the community? What are some things, what are some messages or how, what are some ways that you're influencing your community positively and trying to change perceptions, change attitudes about, you know, personal responsibility, preparedness, um, you know, homesteading, et cetera, what, or, or politically, whatever it may be. Yeah, you know, I really don't go out there and try to change people's minds because the reality is most people you talk to about this stuff, your eyes just gloss over and they don't want to hear it because they have that disease called comfort. And to take something or take someone out of their comfort zone and to show them something different, it's just not going to register for a lot of people. Now, there's some people who come to you because they're seeking this information. They want it. They know. They're realizing this. They're students of history. And so they see this and they're like, Hey Zach, I, I, you know you got what I want. How do I get what I what you have? How how can I take the steps necessary to do some of these things? And then those are the people who you can kind of mentor and just kind of give them some steps and things to do to get towards the goals that they have. And everyone's goals are going to be different, so everyone's going to be different in that regard. But I just think that going out and trying to proselytize homesteading or preparedness or any of that stuff or self-sufficiency, lifestyle. I mean, there, I live in a very rural community, but there are people who look at you sideways if you tell them you should, you should have a chicken. Oh, yeah. But it's just that, that's, that's the reality. Very true. I mean, we have a farmer's market that does horrible every year and the farmers get frustrated because they have to throw away so much of their organic homegrown produce because people won't buy it. Now, I mean, like for instance, we, a lot of it goes to the food pantry that I volunteer at. But the local Harps or Walmart will donate these old donuts boxes full of donuts that are past their date or just about to pass their date. And they'll give those to the food pantry and the people come in and what do they go for first? It ain't the fresh cabbage mm. and cucumbers. It's the donuts. So you're dealing with a mentality that has been built upon by years and decades of it's bad information. Society. Yeah, it's it's just it's but that's that's what we have fed ourselves, you know, information wise as America, you know, yeah. and that disease is so strong in so many people. It, it, trying to tell those people, hey, listen, you really should do the cabbage. Not, not yeah. only will they look at you sideways, they'll probably hit you <laughs> upside the head. You know. <laughs> so. Well, I know I had the the fantasy, the the honeymoon concept of what living in rural America was going to be like, and I remember the first time I was taken aback by one of my neighbors who came to to the property and she was like well you guys moved out of the city and you came and, and did your own little green acres thing huh and i'm like yeah doesn't everybody have chickens out here and she just looked at me kind of crossways and she's like no like why why, <laughs> why are you doing this like why would you move out of a big metropolitan city and live here you know in, in relationship mm -hmm. to, to where we live i was like why not like doesn't everybody out here just have chickens? And so mm -hmm. you, you definitely go into it with this romantic view of homesteading of everybody's going to be coming over and raising a barn with you if you need help. And, and it's, it's mm -hmm. just not like that. So building that tribe, building that community is definitely important. Do you have neighbors and, and friends who, who you do go to and, and rely on who are like-minded, who are building this network of, of homesteaders locally? Yeah. So we have, there's a number of, I, I have, for the most part, really good neighbors. And so um, we, in fact, almost everyone out here does have chickens. 
or some sort of livestock, uh, you know, food on the hoof if they have to. So, um, and my, my nearest, my, my neighbor to my North, he just moved in not that long ago, uh, built a new house on his property. So he doesn't really have anything, but he's kind of like in the, you know, initial building stages of his homestead. Um, so he'll, but I'm sure he'll get, no, no, him. I'm wrong. He had, he does have cattle. He just got cattle. He has cattle. So, um, so even he has, he just moved in he's got cattle already. So, I mean, yeah, a lot, most people out here have cattle and you can go to them for things, you know, if you need help with stuff, uh, you know, I don't, it's not all the time, but you know, if I need something, I can call upon one of my neighbors and be like, Hey, listen, can I borrow this tool or can you come help me do this? Or, you know, if they need to call me, they can call me and I'll come help them. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of network exists. It's not like living in the suburbs where you never talk to, you know, your neighbors, you don't even look at them because if you look at them, they might be like, why is he looking at me? You know, type thing. But that's the way it was in suburban America for the most part. You know, you just yeah. kind of keep to yourself. You don't even know who's living next to you, but no out trust. here, everyone knows everybody. Everyone knows your, your, your business, your, your business. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I learned that the hard way living out here. <laughs> we were part of a, a, a social activist uh, movement in, in our local community where we were fighting a, a, an industrial slaughterhouse from coming in. And you learn real quick who the good old boys are and real quick that you don't step on their toes. But thankfully, yeah, yeah. they they we, we beat them. Long story short, we beat them. And, and that's <laughs> that, that was surprising enough. But uh you know, you do you do make some enemies really quickly in these small communities that have been here for centuries on end. And you, know, mm-hmm. you just got to be aware of that. Like if, if you've got this honeymoon version of homesteading where you just move in and everything's ready. No, it's it's a mm-hmm. daily it's a daily grind. It's a daily struggle. You brought up when this all dies down. I want you to elaborate on that. What. What is what are your what is your optimistic view of of how we come out of this COVID situation, this financial downturn, assuming we do get out of this, assuming that this doesn't get any worse economically um, through through either war or anything like that. If we come out of this, it's just a blip on on the 2020 radar. What do you see as a vision for America? Is is this an opportunity to have an American Renaissance where people learn to live on less? No, no, people aren't interested in that. Mm. They're not interested in it. No, they want they want the glitz and the glamour. They want the easy. They want the trophy, and that's just the reality. They don't. They I, there always is going to be a certain amount of people who are going to want to. I mean, if 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 there was a renaissance, do you think that there would be giant, <coughs> excuse me, corporations, right now who are trying to market lab grown meat? I mean, that's what they're doing. Yeah. So this is something I've been thinking about the last week really hard, man. And it's like, in a way, I can see an opportunity for there to be a new renaissance in manufacturing, automation, and all these things. But at the same time, if this goes the wrong way, it is very potentially uh, not going to occur, right? Because I I feel like to wake most Americans up from their their sleep and, and what's actually happening to them, they would have to be like absolutely crushed. Not only would they have to be absolutely crushed 
and and personally, kind of spiritually and and uh, psychologically dismantled, right? But they would have to be reprogrammed in a way that they knew what had just happened to them was. If it's not intentional, man, it, it's it's highly coincidental, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's very nefarious what's what's going on. They would have to have to know that's happening, knowing it, it, it was moving against them for for a purpose, and and that you know they had basically <clears throat> fallen for it, and that they needed to correct the issue. And then once they realized they needed to, you know to correct it, ha- how to do that? I don't even think most people know how to be. Think of the way. Think of the ways the last depression changed America, like the major depression we had in the 1930s. I grew up with a grandma who washed and reused her aluminum foil. Yeah, I remember that. I remember right, my, my right. grandmother doing that. So we don't do that today. No one does that today. And if you try to tell someone to do that today, they're going to look at you like you're nuts. They don't even really make aluminum foil that you could do that with today. It's all like paper thin and just garbage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's many examples. We, we, you know, my, the people who were of those generations, you know, they were children back then, but those, they remember, you know, you don't put your money in the bank because the bank can take it. Right. Well, but they kept money under the mattress or they kept you know, buried in a can in the backyard or whatever, yeah. because that's that they understand. So that last, that last economic hardship changed the, the way people thought for generations. And so we have gotten away from all that. And so to get back to what we are trying to do, it's going to take another crushing um, event to change mindsets again. And so, yeah, chickens, you know, having that glossy eyes, you know, when you try to mention something about having, you know, having your own eggs and how wonderful that is. People looking at you like you're nuts. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Eggs. I can get eggs at the store. I was very optimistic that we might see some sort of change in mindset at the beginning of this. And when we first started the podcast and I'm still hopeful. Okay. I don't want to be like a black pill, you know, depressed person or something, but man, it well, is let me, just, be, let me so, be the voice of reason for your audience. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. yeah I, hey, I'm more than happy, but it, it, over the, the course of, of the last <laughs> month, I, I've seen the American people get totally distracted and sidelined with just, ridiculous arguments and instead of actually pointing the finger up and saying hey you know no matter what side of this argument you take you are actually wrong and this entire system has is what has has brought this down upon us now let's just argue about some petty crap and and whatever new invented topic of the week they they've used to distract us from you know what's actually happening it's a divide and conquer strategy and People are just so willing to go. They want everything just to go back to the way it was overnight. And whether you're, you know, a flu truther or your hair on fire, I don't really care. Whatever reality, you know, you, you take, you know, and, and you, you take part of, it's not going back to the way it was. It, there's, this isn't just going to immediately change overnight. And you're just going to get to roll back into your life. Some, some weird stuff is probably headed our way. And I just, I don't see anybody taking it very seriously. They're, they're just too into their petty crap. The, the, Tiger King would be a good example. They, yeah, exactly. I have never even seen that, but I know what you're talking about. So I, I think that that's right. And we're just going to have to endure this. And people don't know what's coming. They're just going to have to deal with it. And um, when it gets here, there are going to be people who are just really shocked. They're, they're not going to know how to cope. I wanted to ask you something about coping. And I, I kind of want to give a shout out to my, my friend and I grew up with him. You know, he, he's a young man and he just 
recently lost his mom and it's Mother's Day and he's having a hard time with that. Not to go back into this subject, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to just drag this up, but uh, it, it's been on my heart. I, I had to. I had to bring it up. What would? What advice would you give somebody, a, a young man dealing with with something like that, and 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 how to move forward and, and avoid being, you know, just bogged down and and how to how to pick yourself up and you know at the beginning of the day. Um, probably what I said before that you know grief can be addicting, depression can be addicting. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. Take time to grieve and. Um, but don't don't let yourself fall into the pit where you don't want to get out of it because that's easy, I think, for someone to do. And um, try to do something new. Surround yourself with new things. Um, get, get new things in front of your eyes, um, things you can focus on. For me, it's been exercise and, um, you know, focusing on what I needed to do to accomplish to give her a legacy that she would be proud of. And so if, if he can do that for his mom, he can find something to do for his mom that would uh, have the same effect. That's what I would, that's what I would shoot for. I appreciate that. That was, uh, that, that's something I wanted to bring up and she was a really sweet lady and, and we, they grew up, uh, he grew up down the street from me. So I appreciate that. Zach, you talk a lot about, um, you know, leaving this legacy and continue to build this legacy that, that you and Jamie started together <clears throat> and occupying your time with, exercise and, and homeschooling outside of the exercise and homeschooling and taking care of, uh, of your, of your boys. What are some of the things that you are doing for yourself right now to, to get, get past it and, and go day to day? I mean, that's, that's kind of it. I mean, <clears throat> I'm still trying to find joy in things. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's starting to get, starting to get a little dry. I don't know why. <clears throat> probably, that, probably that COVID. Yeah. All the vodka has gone. Maybe get some more <laughs> of that going. Um, I, I think it's, it's still trying to find some joy in things. Um, there were things that, you know, me and her shared that were joyful and we enjoyed. And so I, you know, I still want to do those things and that's how I cope. I mean, open up a good bottle of wine, you know, that you made yourself. Uh, yeah. Well, no, whatever. Either way, don't matter. <laughs> um, you know, just, um, you know, make some cheese and enjoy it and, and, um, maybe have a nice salad, a steak or something, you know, things that, you know, I know that we both like, you know, just, just things like that. You've mentioned, I mean, quite, it, you've mentioned, huh? quite, you've mentioned quite a few books. What, uh, what are you reading right now that, uh, you're finding joy in or, or escaping into to, to grow yourself? I just started a book. Actually, I'm really liking it. Um, I haven't, I need to finish it. You know, normally I can get through a book really quick, but there's so much going on. There's so many things pulling at me. Yeah. Uh, it's a book by a girl named Stephanie Bain. And she is, um, uh, uh, I say girl, she's definitely a woman. She's, <laughs> she's, um, uh, teaches at the university of Alabama. I think one of the universities there. And she wrote a book called the girl I left behind. And it's about a girl who disguised herself as a boy during the civil war. And um, uh, to try to figure out how to deal with the, uh, the Union Army who's come into her Alabama town. Anyway, so it's really interesting. I'm really enjoying that. And um, and so that's what I'm reading right now. Is it a history book or, you know, just it's, fiction? No, it's fiction. Yeah, okay. fiction. Mm -hmm. okay. But it's got a lot of history rolled into it. So sure. it, when I read books like that, that are historical fiction, I have to stop so many times and Google things because I want to learn more about the things yeah. I'm reading about. And so have it takes you, me a long time. Uh, takes me a long time to get through the book. Have you ever read Gods and Generals? 
Yes, yes, I did. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I did read that when I was, um, gosh, college or something, high school. I don't know, but I, I read through a bunch of those. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Isn't there a series of those though? I think there's yeah, a series. Yeah, yeah. Gods and Generals, uh, Gettysburg, and yeah, yeah. Killer Angels. Yeah. Yeah, I read all three when I was younger. Yeah. We talked a lot about building community locally. You've built a very strong following online through an American homestead. Do do people locally know you as as Zach from an American homestead? Or are you still kind of keeping that separate, the the online if- persona? Sometimes if they do, they don't let on all that much. Um, I think some people think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, what part do they think is ridiculous? I don't, well, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Okay. I think that, I think that, I think some of them just think, Oh, just, you know, you're that YouTube guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. It's a weird dynamic. I think there's people who really appreciate it and they like it. Uh, people have come up and told us as such as much and you know they really enjoyed watching us and they mourned with us when we lost jamie mm-hmm. so but i think i think there's some people out there who are like eh. um yeah i don't know I, th- I think i think some people appreciate some people don't i know for a time you stopped making videos on youtube because of their whole deplatforming and demonetization oh, if you were talking about guns or anything like that torturing what, us what got you back into it um uh, basically because they released my channel. Finally, I was locked out of my channel for like over two months. Oh, wow. Um, I couldn't get even log in, you know, it was just, it was, it was nuts. And so there was so many, and they still torture my channel from time to time. Like, um, I remember, you know, Jamie was in hospice, had just started hospice. And I looked on my phone one time and my avatar was gone. Oh. My avatar was gone from my, from my channel. And I'm like, what's going on? I, I didn't even care. I had other things in my mind. So I didn't even think I figured I was just a flub or whatever. I don't know who knows. So I, I didn't even care. But after, you know, I went back after uh, about a month, you know, Jamie was passed and I was trying to just get back into the swing of things and check things out and figure out, you know, how I started over again now. And I went back to my channel and the avatar's gone. I'm like, why is the avatar gone? So I try to go back and add it back. I couldn't. Now, all these people were online were helping me trying to, t- you hide. How do you put your avatar back and, and try this, try that? Nothing worked. I said, well, I guess I'm just not having an avatar. And it was just another way that they, they, there's been people, there's probably some purple-headed dork at Google who just sits there and tortures channels because he doesn't agree with some of their philosophy on things. And um, That's Twitter had, and Facebook, too. I mean, I mean, they've all but said that they literally have kids sitting there. Yeah, flagging content and and they're it's not like it's an algorithm for the most part it's it's actual human beings that are going and flagging content that they don't agree with so i mean that that really segues nicely into this topic of this this technocracy this this technocratic oligarchy that we have with the googles the facebook the amazons that are controlling the narrative so much so that you know we have a documentary called plandemic that's out there that regardless of where you stand on that documentary and, and the information that is presenting, the argument that I'm not hearing that I'm trying to bring up in these conversations is the fact that that video is being removed at an alarming rate. And, and the, the, the guides of it's controversial, it's got some bad information, it goes against the experts, quote unquote, but they're removing it. And yet you've got things like Alex Jones or your channel that is controversial and talks about, you know, shooting raccoons if, if they get into your garden. 
you're not being removed or, or silenced in, in that way. Like where, where, where are you seeing this, this techno oligarch going, you know, are we heading into a fascist technical, uh, I guess. Just, we're there. We're already there. Right. We're, we're already there. But the pro the issue is there is a, there is a solution to this. Mm. And I've said this before it's blockchain, right? It's de decentralized blockchain technology. And shoot. what's that? Bitchute, it's a blockchain. Yeah, well, that's, that's just one of them. There's multiple yeah, ones. There's, there's one called Library out there. There's one called DTube out there. There's lots of different yeah. ones. And these are all different variations of the same thing. There's another one called Coil that's growing in popularity. Um, and that's like a video. But there's now, there's also, there's lots of different ones out there, different types of social media that are coming up. And re people are realizing that a decentralized social media blockchain, that is what is going to be the answer to this. And it cannot be controlled. It can't be stopped. It can't be censored. And the more they, you know, I hate to use a Star Wars reference, but, you know, what's the old thing where the more you try to squeeze, what's the, what Princess Leia say when the more you squeeze, the more systems will slip through your fingers? Yeah. It's like squeezing jello. The more you try to constrict something like this, like people's liberty, the more will slip out and the more will get away from you. And nature abhors a vacuum. And so, mother, if, if necessity is if necessity is the mother of all invention, then you're going to figure out a way. People are going to have a way to express themselves and right. to get the word out. You know, 1776, the cat was out of the bag when it came to freedom and liberty. And all the nations of the world said, oh, there's a people who can rule themselves. Why can't we do that? And one by one, the kingdoms fell over time throughout the world. And that's what it's still... It's out of the bag. People will never go back under unless unless they're completely militarized, um, and they've taken away all of their abilities to resist. Um, so you can. What you scares? Can, sorry, go ahead. What scares me is is what they're not saying with all of that, right? With the censorship, the implied message is that you know, for example, when Facebook was censoring fake news because it might interfere with the election or might influence the election in a way you know undesired. You know, I. I what they're implying is that the population isn't educated enough to deduct facts from fiction, right? Or they have no reasoning capabilities. And so it implies to me that maybe the elites at this point don't feel that the society is educated enough for democracy, or they feel like they're so uneducated that they can start to influence what democracy looks like you know, based on, and that's just evident with what they do, right? With the Google algorithm and with Facebook based on, uh, you know, what they get to see and what they interact with on a daily basis. Uh, so th that's kind of disturbing. There might actually be some credence to, to the thought that maybe society has kind of devolved in, into a mess where it's not educated enough to make rational decisions. I don't think that that's up to private business to interfere with that. And nor has it ever been. At one point in time, our country was almost completely illiterate, right? And, you know, information was word of mouth. It could be totally false. Go play the telephone game and see how quickly your message gets screwed up. So this isn't a new phenomenon, but they're acting like it is. And they're acting like, you know, now in the age of information, people are just not educated enough or capable of educating themselves enough to make rational decisions. And, and that's just really disturbing. And it, what's sad is they do it with our tax dollars because they're public utilities. So we're paying for our own censorship. 
And people can say, oh, well, they're a private company. They can do what they want. Yeah, but, you know, at some point, you know, they said you can't censor phone calls. That's not happened in 100 years. You know, your phone won't get shut off because you say something political. Bayer was a private company at one time, and the mm-hmm. government said you can't make heroin or cocaine anymore and sell it to the public. Like, at some point in time, somebody has to do something about all of this tech censorship because – even if it is private, the government could greatly benefit from it. And if it's not regulated, the government will take advantage of it. Right. And, and I, I, am one of the, I am one of the people who are like, you know what, if they want to censor everything, let them censor everything. But as long as we have an open market and the people will make sure we always have an open market, then because <clears throat> that's why we have a Second Amendment. But then, you know, that's what makes what Sean Hannity said so stupid. It's those people who are guaranteeing that there will be an open market tomorrow and today. So as long as there's an open market, you have things like blockchain. You have techn- those kinds of technology. You know, me and my kids are going through and reading about the American Revolution and all of the different countries around the country, around the world who collapsed because they wanted to do the same thing that the Americans did. <clears throat> France was one. They, had a, they kept getting king after king who just wanted to declare himself emperor. And the people were like, no, we want freedom. You know, that was the whole thing with Lafayette and George Washington, you know. So... And I see the same thing, you know, with Bitcoin, you know, with a blockchain like Bitcoin, okay? And you have this currency now that is now the ninth largest currency in the world, okay? And it can't be shut down. They want to ban it. They'll, they'll ban it tomorrow, but they can't. And so you have this revolution, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ripple or whatever, it doesn't matter. You have something that it can be decentralized tomorrow and the the, the governments of the world can't do a thing about it. It's the financial. See, what, what did, what, who is the guy who said, if you give me control of a nation's money supplies, I care not who makes its laws. Mm. I forget who's, it was okay, child. right. So he's living during a time when the American Revolution has happened. Okay, the Americans are new. And he's like, well, they, they don't have a king. And all these other countries are getting rid of their kings. He's like, I don't care. Because if I have a national bank, it doesn't matter who makes the laws, a king or a Congress. Well, now you've just, now you've taken down another king and it's the national bank. It's the centralized banks. And you, you've created a money supply. You remember the Liberty dollar? You remember that? Oh, yeah. Anybody remember the silver Liberty dollar? Yeah. It was a guy in his garage who's making silver coins. And what happened to him? 1990 or 2000, whatever it was, 1998, he basically gets thrown in prison because the U.S. government hates competition when it comes to currency. Because Rothschild said, if you give me control over a nation's money supply, I care not who makes this law. That guy was competition to the nation's money supply. And they threw him in jail. But see, you can't throw Bitcoin in jail. No one knows where it's at. It, it's, it's on a network that's impenetrable at this point. So you can't do it. You can't shut it down. It's, an, it's another oligarchy that is just falling. And what I see happening here is just another war. And like I said, it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or Ripple or whatever. It, it, it's, it's decentralized. We even so, had Facebook trying to create their own cryptocurrency in that. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be a, um, a stable coin. So it's only going to be a dollar. It's going to be pegged to the U.S. dollar and other currencies. But <clears throat> either way, yeah. it could be made decentralized. Facebook could make it decentralized tomorrow. Um, and at that point, you've just – and that's why these countries were so against Libra, the Facebook token, because they were – they can't control it. So I don't care if Facebook censors everything. I don't care if YouTube censors everything. It's only going to last for a certain amount of time. Mother is necessity. Necessity is the mother of all invention. It will. There will be something else that will allow the people to put up content. 
and and to do it in a way that that it's liberty minded. It's just going to take some time for it to be developed, and it's already being developed. We just got to see who's going to be, you know, the winner. And that so makes- I have a question for you. Uh, this is um, a cryptocurrency question. So where do you feel that cryptocurrency, if at all, falls into preparedness and homesteading? Uh, and, and do you have your uh, a personal cryptocurrency policy? Uh, yeah. So uh, I got I got involved in Bitcoin early on back in like 2010 or 2011. And I sold it in 2012 uh, because I thought I was making out like a bandit. You know, I was an idiot. <laughs> so um, um, I did something really similar, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. 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 So, but I, I've been in that game for a while and I'm, I'm still in it now, but, um, I think, yeah, it does. It does. It's significant because number one, like I said, it can't be shut down. It can't be controlled. Um, and so for us, as, as far as us on the homestead, I think it's, it can play a part in preparedness because it's, it meets the requirements of something that doesn't have a third party counter risk. Someone else can't affect it. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. And in fact, in regards of gold and silver, like they did in Roosevelt, they I mean they confiscated all that gold, you know, from private citizens. They can't do that with Bitcoin. They can't come to your house and be like, "Give me your Bitcoin," because I can't. It's, it's not. It's in my. It's not in my pocket. I can't give it to you. It's a password that exists in my head. And so, unless you kill me, you're not getting. You know, even then, you're not getting my Bitcoin because it'll just be gone at that point, unless I've given the password to someone else. So it's, it's protected by, it's protected by the Glock. So unless you're going to raid everybody and kill everybody who's, who's got that password in their head, you're never going to get the Bitcoin. So it's without third party counter risk, which always is um, a a parameter of, of holding real well. Um, So in today's day and age, I think it would be okay for someone who is prepared in this mind is to hold prepared in this mind minded to hold cryptocurrency um, in some form, you know, you do your own research on which one you want to do or how you want to do that. But um, it's just like gold and silver. If you don't hold it, you don't own it. So how do you how do you combat the naysayers of not not just in the cryptocurrency area, but the whole two party system? The whole if you vote for the third candidate, you you've basically wasted your vote. So how do you combat that mentality of? Well, you know, I don't really, I don't need to be prepared because someone will always be there to pick up pieces. Mm. <laughs> Roll the dice and take your chances. <laughs> <laughs> if that's how you want to live your life. Right. Well, that's okay. Roll the dice and take. Is that your life? That's not mine. And you have the freedom and liberty to be stupid. So mm. I and I think that's you know you can do that if you want to. Um, you know that's that's the beauty of 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 liberty and you know, freedom. You can make choices whether they're wrong or right but you, you are the master of your own destiny and no man should be able to tell you different. I think if you have children, uh, you're a parent, you know, and you don't have some sort of uh, plan, just a plan or, or, you know, uh, basic uh, items for preparedness, you know, something to defend yourself with, you know, maybe some food put back, way to purify water. You're, you're just kind of an abusive person because even if society doesn't collapse, you could have a tornado, you could have an earthquake. This is, you know, there's plenty of natural disasters to go around in this country. And you're just not thinking you're, you're, you're not thinking about your responsibilities to your kids. I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, so say like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just saying basically if you're, if you're a person that is willing to roll the dice and you, you have a family, you have children and you're just of the kind of like, Oh, let's just see where the chips fall, you know, mentality. 
I think that you're probably in in, in a way just abusive, you know, to your kids. I, I don't mean like you're abusive. You're, yeah, neglectful. That would be a better a better word to use uh, because you're you're ultimately responsible for them, and and yeah. you know, society society is fragile, and it, it may very well fall apart. You know, there, there there could be something to you know set that off, but. This, this country just is full of things that can get you anyway. Well, the reality is that the world's always full of people like that. And it's always going to yeah. be that way. So, and that's fine. And that's, that's okay. But you know, that's why, you know, I, I, in my own personal religious beliefs, I mean, that's why the Bible tells us to help people like that. I, I met people in my life. They're poor. They're always going to be poor because of the mentality they have. And that's fine. So when you meet people like that, you help them. You reach out to them, you know, if they need, if they find themselves needing food, if they find themselves needing clothes, supply those things to them because the reality is they're always going to be that way. They just have that mentality. There are some people just do not have the mental capacity to excel in life and to get ahead. That's fine. But, you know, our, at least my personal opinion, my personal belief is that we should help people like that and then give them charity, give them help, give them assistance, give them a sense of being if they need that, whatever. Um, you can do to help them, but the reality is there's always going to be people who are going to make poor decisions and they're not going to plan. And, 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 you know, you can help those if you, if those around you, if you can. If you had a billboard in front of you right now, what is the message that you would want to give everybody? <laughs> oh, a message to give everybody. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> um heavy downer I, I know well you know i mean hey the reality is the reality like if this really is the coming collapse you know if, if, if this situation really plays out that way if you're not already doing it mm. you're not going to and you know i may be completely wrong if i'm totally wrong in this great fantastic we go on living this yeah you know great american life for the next 20 30 40 50 years who knows who cares um, then that'll be fine with me. I'll be totally okay with that. You'll invest uh, more in Bitcoin. I'll, I'll be buying more Bitcoin, and, you know, <laughs> whatever. Buy, I'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll be building my kids' houses here on the home homestead and they'll be raising their families and things will be great. But um, I just, you know, I don't think we're, we're there, but if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm totally fine being that way. I just, I'm going to try to do the best I can for my family by what I'm seeing um, as a student of history. And mm. I think we're in a, we're in for a giant world of hurt. I yeah, agree. I really, I, I really hope I'm wrong about the potentiality for collapse. Like, I, I think we all want to be wrong. Nobody wants this because it's going to be yeah, horrible. I'm not rooting this on. Yeah, it's going to be horrible. I, and I don't want my kids to have to go through it, but they're going to no, have no. to if, this, if that's what we're, if what we're saying is true. So, you know, let's just go back to, you know, the positive attitude I mentioned before. Let's mm. have that positive attitude and, and go forward and whatever life throws our way, we're going to figure out, figure it out and we're going to come out the other side. Zach, I want to thank you so much for joining us on The New Normal today. You have opened up to us and, and we appreciate it. I want to acknowledge your, your openness and your, and your candidness to, to speak with us and share with us your experiences and your story and, and your journey and how you plan to create that legacy with your family. So I just I want to acknowledge your time and, and thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. Welcome. Good being here. Thanks, man. Let everybody know where they can find you and how they can... Uh, get into this homesteading journey and, and get all the resources that you can provide. We have a website in AmericanHomestead.com. I have not updated it in a while. Um, it's not the most updated website, but it, there is a lot of good content there. 
Um, lots of, if you have a certain topic about water filters or wood stoves or check there, they have a search option on our website and AmericanHomestead.com. However, you can also go to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search for an American Homestead and we'll come up first thing and you can search our videos there, any topic. And there's just a whole plethora of topics. So you can watch our season episodes and, um, Jamie's got some really good cooking episodes on there. You can watch those. And, uh, so check those out too. Yeah. Do you ever go back and watch those episodes? Oh my gosh. All the time. I love it. Her, her favorite cooking show is, um, she made Asian soup, spicy Asian soup. If you you want to look, check out that episode. Like a tum yum. No, it was, um, green curry, green curry soup. It was just, oh, oh, it's awesome. Spicy, but awesome. Nice. Zach, (laughs) thank you once again for joining us as always stay safe and welcome to the new normal. (laughs) 